talking today about the Duggar family, but also about so much more. The large fundamentalist family led by Jim Bob Duggar was first marketed to the world as an oasis of wholesomeness in a world of filth with their debut cable special in 2004. Jim Bob and his wife, Michelle, and their many, many, many kids came across as a sort of real-life Flanders family from The Simpsons. For many, they represented some good old days, traditional family values, a wonderfully humble and virtuous family leading such righteous, happy lives, but was everything as it appeared. Or was all that wholesomeness a facade for some really dark shit hiding beneath the surface? There's a good chance you're familiar with the Duggars, but what do you really know about their connection to the Institute and Basic Life Principles? A radical organization described by many, including numerous other Christian organizations, as a dangerous cult. If you watched the recent Amazon Prime docuseries, and it was great, about the rise and fall of the Duggars, shiny happy people, you might know quite a bit. Lindsay and I watched it, and her mind was blown. Like, she was disgusted. Me? Uh, less so due to all my research into the dark and strange here over the years, but I was surprised to see the Duggars attached to this particular organization. I shouldn't have been, but I guess I wasn't really paying attention to them. The IBELP is scarier to me than most of the cults we have covered because far more people in this country either adhere to its beliefs or at least don't see them as very problematic. And I don't consider this a cult episode, by the way. I don't, I don't know what category I will put today's episode in. Pop culture, maybe? Related to the R. Kelly episode, perhaps more than anything else? I wanted to learn about the Duggars because going back to when I was a little kid, like before the age of 10, I've had this almost instinctual aversion to people who seem to work so hard to have the rest of the world see them as being so incredibly wholesome and righteous. I just rarely buy it. I want to know what they're hiding, who they really are. In my experience, people who at first glance appear a lot rough around the edges, people who curse, people comfortable with an uncomfortable joke, uh, they tend to be the best, most accepting, kind, helpful, caring, cool fucking people out there. I feel a certain extra level of comfort around someone who seems to lay their cards out all on the table. Uh, Here I am, love it or leave it kind of vibes. Hail Nimrod, do I love that? But when someone never curses, like when they really make a point out of that, when they get uncomfortable talking about anything taboo, like real judgmental and uptight, when they never talk shit about anything or anybody or laugh at something just a little off color, when they seem super rigid, uptight, easily offended, I think, what the fuck are you hiding? Why do you feel the need to act like that? It just rarely reads as natural and genuine to me. You know, life is rugged and messy and full of pain, even when it's going relatively well. So maybe loosen up. I've never watched a full episode of any of the Duggar family shows. When I heard about them and looked briefly into them years ago, I did wonder what they were hiding. And as it turns out, quite a bit. Starting with the true nature of the Institute and basic life principles, it is not a good, healthy, wholesome organization. Not in my book. Not even fucking close. It's an organization with beliefs eerily reminiscent of the Handmaid Tales Gilead. And this group would truly love to take over America and turn it into an insanely misogynistic theocracy. And Jim Bob Duggar, he would love that too. Traditional traditional values, excuse me, do not necessarily equate to good values because a lot of traditions, frankly, fucking suck. We don't hold on to them because they're great. We hold on to them because we're a species that is resistant to change or because we often love what's familiar, even if it's probably worse than a new alternative. Or we hold on to them because they benefit the people they empower, often at the direct expense of many others. The Duggar family captured Middle America's hearts following a few standalone documentaries. And then the Learning Channel 
uh, 19 kids and counting show originally called 17 kids and counting then 18 kids enjoyed by millions for years as a wholesome show. The entire family could all enjoy together without anyone having to worry about anything offensive going on. Although many viewers would disagree with some of the Duggars belief, they still found it fascinating to watch how people so different from the mainstream were living their lives. And they largely thought Jim, Bob and Michelle were very good protective parents within a world of violence, scandalous entertainment. Kind of like this dark piece of shit podcast. The Duggars popularity was largely due to how safe, how non-controversial it was. Well, this week, we're going to examine how the hell the Duggars raised such an enormous family. We'll look at the many, many rules that they and their children follow, their religious beliefs, the timeline of important events in the family's lives. We'll look into the dark secret they kept for so many years, an examination of some controversial groups they have been strongly associated with. And we'll ask ourselves, what does it really mean to be wholesome? What traditional values are worth keeping? Which one should we kick to the fucking curb forever? In another, many of the rules we follow today were invented by ordinary old meat sacks, often no better or no more wise than we are, and sometimes much worse than we are. So much of our reality is what we collectively choose to make it. Existential edition of Time Suck. This is Michael McDonald, and you're listening to Time Suck. (laughs) You're listening to Time Suck. Well, happy Monday, Meat Sex. Welcome or welcome back to the Cult of the Curious. I'm Dan Cummins, Suck Nasty, curator of the John Bon Jovi Korean War exhibit at the World's Coolest People Hall of Fame Museum. Dabbler in the occult, still very frustrated with Barry the Demon. And you are listening to Time Suck. Hail Nimrod, hail Lucifina, praise Bojangles, and glory be to Triple M. Uh, my buddy Pat House, many of you have come to my stand-up shows over the years. You have seen him uh, open up for me. Well, he has a new stand-up special on YouTube, live from the day job. He recorded it at his day job as a bartender. Go check out some very funny free stand-up when you have a chance. And speaking of free, I have something better than free. Uh, would you and your family uh, like some help getting presents for the kids this holiday season? Let the fifth annual Bad Magic Giving Tree begin Like all the previous years, we will be using the December Patreon donation to kick it off. Uh, We hope for that to be about 13,000 if the Space Lizards stick with us. Uh, If any fans would like to donate to the cause, as they have in years past, we are again only accepting Amazon gift cards. Uh, And just like the years past, uh, we will be matching any and all additional donations. You make up to 13,000. Every little bit helps. $5, $10. It adds up quickly. If you'd like to donate, go to Amazon.com, purchase a gift card. When you fill out the box of whom to send the gift card to, you enter the following email address, givingtree2023 at badmagicproductions.com. If you want to be a recipient of the Giving Tree, Tuesday, November 21st, 12 noon p.m., we will begin accepting applications on the website, badmagicmerch.com, the only way to submit your family. We think we can help 30 families. And once 30 families have applied, the application won't allow anyone new to fill it out. It'll just automatically close. Last year, these slots filled up in less than five minutes. If you're going to be at work during this time, you can have a family member or a friend sign up on your behalf. If you receive from the Giving Tree in the past, please allow someone else to receive help this year. We'll be shopping, sending out gifts from December 1st through December 17th and look forward to bringing our community together once again over the holidays to love and support one another. Uh, You can find the pertinent information that I've just shared in today's episode description. And then last thing before we get dig into the Duggars, some bad news. I, I'm, I'm trying to hold it together, but I, uh, I, fell, out of, I fell out of my bed again uh, this week. And I, and I broke my fall with my boner again. And now, whew, 
It's bent at a 135 degree angle. So like imagine a penis being bent to a 90 degree angle and then just bend it like halfway further back towards touching itself. And it is so hard to pee and almost impossible to have sex. Actually, I actually really hurt my wrist trying to masturbate with that angle. And now I also have carpal tunnel, but I'm still, <laughs> still here and it's time to get started. I'm an idiot. I'm sure some of you are a bit anxious over how I'm going to handle this topic. Will I insult your belief system? Why do I pick so many topics similar to this one? Well, I hope that even if you're Christian, you are very aware of the diversity that exists within your religion and understand that my dissection of the Duggar's faith, my disdain for certain aspects, aspects of it does not apply to all Christian denominations. And if you're sick of me touching on subjects that do heavily involve religion and don't understand why I keep coming back to the same well, let me explain. I've ended up picking a lot of topics, examining Christianity, not really looking uh, to originally. It's just, uh, I'm just, I am fascinated with religion, but more fascinated with our culture. And you just can't understand American culture without understanding the most important religion in America that has shaped the culture more than any other ideology by far, right? One nation under God and that God here in America has always predominantly been the Christian God. Did you know that every single U.S. president, without exception, has identified publicly as being Christian? I don't think some of them have actually been Christian, but they've at least said they are. It's that important here in America. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, Donald Trump, William Howard Taft, arguably the four least religious of our presidents, have at least identified as being some form of Christian. Only two presidents have ever not been sworn into office using a Christian Bible, Teddy Roosevelt, John Quincy Adams. Uh, but not because they hated it. Both of them also identified as Christian and as an intensely curious person, cult of the curious for fucking life with or without this show, trying to figure out why my neighbors act the way they do, why we think the way we think, why we vote the way we do, why we get offended at this or that, have to understand where many of us are coming from in the sense of core belief systems. Belief systems often very different from my own. I was raised around Christianity while I had a, uh, a Christian pastor for a grandfather and would be asked to attend church when he was around. Outside of that, never taken to church by my family. Never went with my parents, just because it was important to them as far as I can remember. My mom's side of the family, largely atheist, but I would go with some of my friends growing up to church, uh, their churches. I still uh, sometimes to this day attend a religious service, and this may surprise you, actually enjoy myself. Uh, you know, I love a good sermon. Might not believe the motivation to give it, but I can respect and appreciate the message and still feel moved by it. And I can respect why everyone around me is gathered around, uh, you know, to uh, congregate, to hopefully find answers to life's toughest questions, right? That's where curiosity leads. Eventually, I think the most important human questions there are, the ones we meat sacks have grappled with the most since whenever we become became sentient are the ones related to the very nature of our existence. How did we get here? Why are we here? What happens to our consciousness when we die? What does it all fucking mean? I was born curious about all this. My parents say the first sentence I ever learned to speak was a question. What's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? I asked it constantly to the point I drove my parents and grandparents fucking crazy. They still laugh about it. Those, are the, those that are alive anyway. I asked uh, so often my dad would give me uh, question quotas for a while. Like you got five more questions for the rest of the day. Pick them wisely just to get me to shut up a bit. That curiosity is what led to this podcast, right? The cult of the curious. And it leads me to look into others who have asked the same questions and often found their answers in religion. Religion's most important function, I would argue, is to allow us to move on from these questions, to feel satisfied in the answers they provide, 
to give us a comforting playbook for how life is supposed to work to make us feel that all is not just evolution and chance and chaos, but there's actually a plan unfolding for all of us, a divine plan. And I've been jealous for as long as I can remember of those who firmly trust that those answers have been found for them in religion. I haven't found them, right? I'm still not satisfied. I'm still seeking. And while the answers the Duggars found in their religious beliefs do not resonate with me, they do help draw me into their story. So that's where all this is coming from. Curiosity. It's where it comes from every week, right? What's that? What's that? Why? What's that person doing? What's that person believing? Why, why, why? Why can't they seem to see how uh, harmful their belief system blatantly is to so many others in certain cases? Or to themselves? Why do they continue to cling to these beliefs and push them on others when the beliefs seem to bring about so much unnecessary pain and confusion? Why, why, why? I hope I never lose interest in asking these questions. I hope I never just shut my brain off and think, ah, who cares? So that's why we're here uh, to do a lot more than just poke fun at some reality TV stars, but that's going to happen a bunch too. (laughs) Let us begin. To break this all down this week, I'm going to first give an overview to the Quiverful movement, help explain why the Duggars felt they should have so many kids. Then we'll meet the Duggars themselves, learn their names, where they, uh, you know, come from, uh, what they believe, how do they run their household, how do they raise their kids, what are their religious beliefs. Then we'll jump into a timeline that leads pretty quick into their rise to reality TV fame. We'll explore the dark secret that led to their fall from grace, and we'll examine the dangerous, uh, super fucked up institution that provided the Duggars with their homeschool curriculum and basic, you know, ideology, guided their overall beliefs, how they raised their kids, how they lived their lives, the Institute and Basic Life Principles, a group they are supposedly still very, very, very much associated with. A lot of yikes in that group. So much yikes. Also so much shit to make fun of today. Cool. Okay, cool. So why do the Duggars have so many kids? To answer that question, we do need to look at the Quiverful Movement. Although the Duggars have stated they're not directly a part of the Quiverful movement, and and it's not like it's an official movement with a a list of members, Uh, you you sure could fool me that they're not in. Um, At the very least, Quiverful ideology closely aligns with the Duggars' beliefs and explains why they and certain other conservative Christians are so adamantly opposed to birth control. Quiverful is a theological position held by some conservative Christian couples who belong to Christian denominations that see large families as blessings from God, right? It originates in the book of Genesis 1, and God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. I'm sure you've probably at least heard that last part. Well, the actual name quiverful comes from Psalm 127. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So get to fucking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck off and come hard, Christian warriors. Uh, only come inside your wife's vagina. And only then, when the goalkeeper has been removed, shoot that shot, player! Might that suggest? Uh, birth control strictly prohibited in quiverful families. Even the natural family planning method is strongly discouraged. They believe that God will give you the number of children you are meant to have. Quiverful Christians believe that God controls a woman's fertility directly. And because of that, using protection during sex is interfering with God's plan. But does he have that? planned out for us? I mean, it really makes me question how invested God is in us uh, having a specific amount of kids if the same God uh, who is, you know, uh, you know, planning, telling us how many kids we're going to have also has made us smart enough to figure out how to, uh, you know, circumvent the reproductive process. But while data over the decades estimates that the true number of quiverful families are in the low thousands to low tens of thousands, the movement has influenced far more 
Christians than those numbers. So where the hell did this movement come from? Having as many kids as possible was common practice, you know, for most families, almost all families in earlier centuries. So there wasn't need for a movement like this. This movement was born in in response to modern birth control, right? After the first FDA approved birth control pills showed up in 1960. Now this was a a question we had to grapple with. The quiverful movement would begin, right? uh, In response to the pill's widespread use in the following decade. During the sexual revolution of the 60s, conservative churches across America began to to denounce the birth control pill, claimed it did not adhere to biblical law. And then the following decade, right in the 70s, uh, specifically 1977, Quiverful Movement proponent Nancy Campbell began writing articles for her magazine, Above Rubies. Her writings glorified stay-at-home mothers who had lots of kids. She also published a book called Be Fruitful and Multiply, in which she wrote, the womb is such a powerful weapon. It's a weapon against the enemy. Essentially, The more kids you can have, the more warriors in God's army there will be to defeat the great adversary. That is the basic reasoning there. More warriors to push back against those who question religion like uh, me. More warriors to vote and turn their chosen nation into one truly ruled by biblical principles. Nancy Campbell and Mary Pride were the unofficial leaders of the Quiverful Movement. The movement, again, just a belief system, not an actual organization of any kind. And it started in the 70s. Mary Pride would publish her most influential book that same year, uh, or excuse me, the same year that Margaret Atwood published The Handmaid's Tale in 1985. The Way Home Beyond Feminism Back to Reality. Pride chronicled her journey from feminism to happiness. And actually, The Handmaid's Tale, a book I, uh, many of you know I am fascinated with, uh, was written in response to the ideology behind the quiverful and similar theological movements. Margaret Atwood has said publicly that The Handmaid's Tale was inspired by movements exactly like Quiverful. She said the novel is speculative fiction, offering a satirical view of various real social, political, religious trends that the U.S. was experiencing that were bothering her in the early 1980s and late 1970s. The novel was written to illustrate what these ideological movements would look like if they were taken to their logical end. And that end, uh, especially if you've seen the the show on Hulu, not pretty. (laughs) Not pretty, especially for girls and women. And the beliefs of the Duggars, also not pretty for girls and women. Holy shit. Uh, We'll dig into that. Back to Mary Pride. She converted to conservative Christianity in 1977. She learned about the biblically mandated roles of wives and mothers. To have children. To stay in the home. To live under the authority. To submit, Lindsay. Have some subservience to their husbands. Uh, I'm saying that in a joking way, but I'm not joking. Mary loved this role. And I would say, if you if you love that role, I mean, fine, if it makes you happy, if you're choosing it. I am not opposed to anyone choosing to live in this quote, unquote, you know, traditional gender role. As long as they also understand that, you know, there's no shame if they don't want it, right? Lindsay loved not working for a year and running our house when we first got up to Idaho. And so did I. I'm glad we work together now, but for a while, you know, that was not the plan. She didn't jump into podcasting because it was a dream of her. She did it to help me go our business and we couldn't afford to hire anyone else. I'm very grateful, but she would have been very happy to stay at home and not work. And she had some friends she used to work with in LA, work with in production, uh, guilt trip her, look down on her for wanting to be a traditional stay-at-home wife and mom, like that was anti-feminist or something. And she and I both thought and continued to think that's pretty fucked up judgment. She wasn't doing it because I forbid her to work outside the home. She was doing it because she truly loves creating special memories for family and friends, making her home feel special. She loves cooking, loves baking, uh, taking care of her family. That shit just makes her very happy. And if it makes you happy, fucking go for it. 
and fuck people who don't understand you, but you shouldn't have to do it, right? And that's what Mary was advocating. Mary would take this, uh, you know, opposite and equally unnecessary view that some of Lindsay's friends took, you know, that working outside the home was a terrible thing for a woman to do. If you're doing that, you're a bad mom. You're a bad woman, essentially. You're hurting your family. In Mary's opinion, a domestic subservient life was the only life, you know, that uh, married Christian women should live. But modern evil feminism teaches Christian women that they can live, uh, you know, outside the, at the home, that they can have a different purpose to their life. You know, tricks them into thinking shit like their opinions and thoughts are <laughs> as valid as a man's. <laughs> Fucking crazy, right? Teaches them they could be the primary breadwinner of their home. <laughs> what? A lady with a little lady brain? It teaches them that they don't have to have kids if they don't want to. <laughs> Excuse me? Uh, what was that? Speak up, harlot. Uh, teaches them to accept uh, birth control as being an acceptable option in life should you choose to use it. And various options just don't work for the simple Simon binary thinkers the world has always been loaded with, right? Complex, nuanced thinking. It's just too much work for the billions of uh, lazy thinkers. Uh, Pride backed her hardline stance with several Bible verses. Her favorite being Psalm 127, verses three to five. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. And that is the King James version, of course, which the quiverful uh, movement only uses. <laughs> and when I first read that verse, my brain did turn low, L-O, into L-O-L. It's a very different read when it starts with L-O-L. It gives it a very different vibe. <laughs> L-O-L! <laughs> Children are heritage of the Lord! Get, get the fuck out of here! Uh, Mary Pride wrote, God commanded that sex be at least potentially fruitful. That is not deliberately unfruitful. All forms of sex that shy away from marital fruitfulness are perverted. No blowjobs. Oh boy. That verse has led to a lot of misery. Truly, that interpretation, right? It's led to so many women who either didn't want kids or didn't want as many as they ended up having becoming essentially brood mares. Led to a belief that any sex act other than penis in vagina, P in the V, is perverted and sinful. So all masturbation, all homosexual sex, and also most heterosexual sex acts, dirty and perverse. Now, what a bummer. What a bummer, because there's so much more than P in the V. So many very fun ways to have sex. Hey, Lucifina. Right? The, this belief has led to shit like anti-masturbation sermons. You know, I had a friend growing up who <laughs> went to, I don't know, heard one of these sermons when he went to some camp over the summer and bragged to me, how about he's never going to masturbate again? <laughs> went on about the evils of jerking off. I'm not sure where that guy is now. Hopefully not serial killing. Uh, hopefully not in prison for fucking snapping. Committing some sex crime because he was just so horny and sexually frustrated and had so much shame and guilt and anger. It's a natural urge. It's literally medically healthy in a variety of ways. If all of the world's dudes stopped masturbating and felt shameful about it, holy shit, we would live in a fucking violent nightmare. Mass shootings, rapes, oh, probably increased by, I don't know, about a million percent. The world would become reminiscent of The Walking Dead, just replace zombies with very angry, crazy, horny dudes. No, thank you. Anyway, a lot of Christian women were inspired by Pride's book and spread the movement through their churches and other social networks. Various pastors began giving sermons supporting the Quiverful movement. Charlie D. Provan's 1989, The Bible and Birth Control, was another popular Quiverful book. Then Rick and Jan Hess wrote a full quiver, Family Planning and the Lordship of Christ in 1990. They emphasized that children were not to be viewed as a financial burden. Don't even think about money. Just fucking pop them out. If a couple chooses to control their fertility 
they have offended thy Lord. They have rejected blessings from God. Just have those babies, have faith that everything will work out, even though in today's economy, uh, probably won't. Honestly, probably won't work out. Uh, Quiverful Christians believe that if a man or woman is infertile, they have an empty quiver. Yeek, that doesn't sound nice. I had a vasectomy back in 2015. My quiver's dry as shit. Nothing but dust in these nasty old devil balls. Let God decide how many kids you have. You know, if you're having fertility trouble, pray for a miracle. Do not do in vitro or anything similar. That is also preached in fertility treatments seen as interfering with God's plan. So my son, Kyler, uh, he is the product of in vitro and fertilization. After my ex-wife and I had several miscarriages, uh, which means he is an abomination, which explains so much. I mean, he's fucking weird. I've always thought he was kind of cool weird, but maybe not. Maybe a little, maybe a little devil weird, maybe punishment for fucking with God's plan. Uh, Adoption accepted as an alternative to having biological children. Quiverful Christianity also supports biblical patriarchy, homeschooling, homesteading to avoid worldly influences. Separate your family, right? Get out there in the woods. Don't let your kids interact with anybody else. That'll really prepare them for a nice, healthy, and happy life. Uh, Quiverful Christians also feel a duty to multiply to ensure Christianity stays strong across the world. And hopefully if it gets strong enough, it can take over the world country by country, building one theocracy after another, kind of exactly like The Handmaid's Tale. Catherine Joyce, author of Quiverful, Inside the Christian Patriarchy Movement, told NPR years back, they speak about if everyone starts having eight children or 12 children, imagine in three generations what we'll be able to do. We'll be able to take over both halls of Congress. We'll be able to reclaim sinful cities like San Francisco for the faithful. And we'll be able to wage very effective, massive boycotts against companies that are going against God's will. <laughs> Looking at you, Bud Light. Right? That kind of shit. I don't feel like she used San Francisco as a random example there either. I think I, think I know why she picked it. If you're not already, already sitting down, you're, you're going to want to. I have heard from trusted sources. I've, I've seen with my own eyes a lot of debauchery there. I've also, I've also heard there's quite a bit of poop hole loophole. A lot of man butt. Poop hole loopholing. A lot of man-to-man kissing, cuddling. Also, don't get mad at me for saying this. I'm just a messenger. A lot of lady-to-lazy scissoring and muff diving goes on down by the bay. Sitting down by the docks of the bay, eating puss. No, thank you. Be gone, Lucifina. But maybe let me respectfully watch from... Corner where I jerk off soft shame cock and bottle no one. Maybe then we wrestle. Yeah, Chikatilo, he's... He fucking... He loves San Francisco. Uh, all they sh- although they share similar beliefs, the Duggars insist they are not part of the Quiverful movement, though. Jim Bob wrote in his book, A Love That Multiplies, we are simply Bible-believing Christians who desire to follow God's word and apply it to our lives. But they are heavily involved with the Institute of Basic Life Principles, and the IBLP does share a lot of Quiverful movement beliefs in its more uh, structured, more complicated ideology. Uh, and again, more on the IBLP and the timeline. Uh, when the Duggars got married... They figured they would have two or three kids and be done. Initially, had their first child. They decided to wait a while before trying for another. Uh, they got on uh, They got on the pill. So, you know, trouble's brewing. And Michelle will be devastated by the miscarriage of their second child because of that pill. She found comfort in the Bible, specifically Psalm 127, verses 1 through 5. She and Jim Bob prayed together, asked God to give them as many kids as he desired them to have. And they were going to have 19 children, 10 boys, 9 girls. Michelle would become pregnant about every 18 months with a few exceptions. For example, when her 18th child, Jordan, was six months old, she became pregnant with her 19th child, Josie. Yay, yay, yay! 
got harder as time went on for the Duggars to get pregnant due primarily to the 19 kids absolutely fucking destroying Michelle's birth canal. It just, you know, it got, got pretty loosened up uh, thanks to popping out a lot of big uh, potato-headed Duggar babies, you know? For their 19th kid, rumor is it, uh, rumor has it, excuse me, uh, that Jim Bob had to literally get down on his hands and knees and crawl into Michelle's vagina and then stand up inside her uterus and then jerk off into one of her fallopian tubes. That's that's the one time it's okay to jerk off in quiverful circles. If you're standing up inside, <laughs> if you're standing up, if you're standing tall and straight inside your wife's completely wrecked uterus and you jerk off into her fallopian tubes. Too ridiculous? Okay, for everyone still listening, let's meet the Duggars. Of course, the family is led by Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar. First child they had was Josh Duggar, bane of their existence, destroyer of the Duggar brand. Uh, he was born March 3rd, 1988. He'll get married to Anna Keller. And now they uh, they have seven children. Mackenzie, Michael, Marcus, Meredith, Mason, Mariella, and Madison. <laughs> I see what he did there. Next two kids uh, were twins for Jim Bob and Michelle, Jana and John David. Born January 12th, 1990. John David married to Abby Burnett. They have two kids, Grace and Charlie. Whew. John David, 33 and only two kids. Whoa, boo, boo, boo. Feel, I can't prove it, but it feels like someone's been jerking off. You know, not focusing on the right hole. Whew. Okay, all right. Jana, 33, still not married. Whoa, what the fuck? Ugh. Next, daughter Jill. Born May 17th, 1991. Jill married to Derek Dillard. They have two kids, Israel, Samuel, Samuel, Jessa Duggar, uh, born November 4th, 1992. Jessa married to Ben Seawald. They have four children. Finally, someone else taking this shit seriously. Uh, Spurgeon, Henry, Ivy, and Fern. Then there's Ginger with a J. Born December 21st, 1993. Married to Jeremy Volo. I don't know. They have two kids, Felicity and Evangeline. So probably, <laughs> probably doing something wrong. Next is Joseph, born January 20th, 1995, married to Kenra Caldwell, have four kids. Good, good, good. Progress. Garrett, Addison, Brooklyn, Praise, and Justice. Okay, different letters. That's weird. Mm, disrespecting their parents. Josiah, born August 28th, 1996, married to Lauren Swanson. They have three kids, Bella, Daisy, and a new baby boy whose name has not been publicly revealed as far as I know. Next, Joy Anna Duggar, born October 28th, 1997, married to Austin Forsyth. Three kids, Gideon, Evelyn May, Gunner. After Joy, another set of twins, Jedediah, Jeremiah. <laughs> Sounds like a fucking tag team wrestling duo. We've got Jedediah and Jeremiah coming off the top ropes. Uh, born December 30th, 1998, Jedediah married to Katie Nakatsu, and they have 37 kids. They've been averaging one kid every two to three months. Uh, not sure how they do it. Probably a lot of fallopian tube masturbating. Probably a lot of that wall. There's already one kid in the womb. Probably fucking crawl in there, push him aside, get another kid going. Now they have two kids, Truett and Nora. Jeremiah, only one kid. So he's a piece of shit. Uh, Brinley Noel uh, with his wife, Hannah. Not sure what their deal is. And then there's the youngest Duggars. No kids yet. Jason, born in April of uh, 2000. James, born in July of 2001. Justin, November of 2002. Justin married to Claire Spivey, and there have been rumors in some fan forums that Justin may be using condoms. And I hope, for the sake of his everlasting soul, that that is a lie. That is a dirty lie. After him, Jackson, born in 2004. Johanna, born in 2005. Jennifer, 2007. Jordan Grace, 2008. And Josie, the final 19th kid, 
uh, born in 2009. Uh, Josie is uh, already married, uh, married to Richard Johnson, and the 14-year-old has uh, 17 kids. No, she only has three. No, she has no kids, and she's not married. I hope not. Uh, Duggars also live with Tyler, their great, uh, great nephew, born February 10th, 2008, adopted into the family, and sometimes referred to as the 20th Duggar. If you're wondering why all the J names, Michelle has an answer for you. They named their first child Joshua because they like the story of Joshua in the Bible. And then when twins Jana and John Dave were born, they decided to give them J names too. And then when Michelle was pregnant with baby number four, she and Jim Bob decided to fully commit to J names. There you go. Uh, now let's take a look at life in the Duggar household. All the rules. Their children and them try and follow. So many rules. So many <laughs> rules crack me the fuck up. And of course, some of their religious beliefs followed by a timeline of important events in the family's history, which will include a side dive into the Institute of Basic Life Principles. Uh, what is life like in the Duggar household? Using mostly t- past tense here, since uh, while I imagine their days are still a lot like this, I don't know for sure, since the show was canceled in 2015. A typical day would start with early morning Bible study. Bible study followed by personal hygiene time. Interesting. Uh, is it just me or does it feel like it, they should have flipped those two? Like, like maybe brush your teeth and throw on deodorant first, then gather together in a crowded space to study. Uh, after hygiene time, the family would eat breakfast, complete their chores, uh, which they would call jurisdictions. Jurisdictions, pretty fancy term for doing stuff like washing dishes, taking out the trash. Uh, not now, Josiah, Johannesburg and Javelin. Before we ride our bikes around the house, but not in the neighborhood where there's so much secular danger, I must first finish my jurisdictions. After juris- That sounds like uh, something uh, <laughs> a homeschool kid would say, actually. Uh, apologies to all of our homeschool listeners. I do, I do know we have quite a few. Uh, after jurisdictions, they would first practice some religious music and then head out for school. And by head out, I mean they would all go outside to wait for the bus, then turn around and head right back inside when they remembered they were homeschooled. Uh, or they just stayed in the house. Uh, they really were homeschooled and they would have school lessons for the rest of the morning, you know, at home, away from the heathen debauchery of the public school system. Uh, Duggar homeschooling focused a lot on character traits and memorizing Bible passages. Michelle once wrote, we have homeschooled our children because we want to spend time with them and train them to become mature Christians who love God. They really have also not wanted their children to be influenced by peers of different faiths or no faith. They have spoke about how they don't want their kids to learn about things like atheism, socialism, evolution, or other worldly philosophies and behaviors. And that sounds like a great way to make it very fucking hard for your kids to ever leave the nest and make it out there on their own in the world if they want to leave your religion. They're going to be so far behind most other people in the secular world. Uh, They would take a small break for lunch, followed by more music, more homeschool. Dinner will be at six o'clock. All the boys would, you know, sometimes help cooking mainly managed by the Duggar girls and supervised by Michelle. You'll see that the household mostly ran by the older Duggar girls. Uh, Jim Bob would then read more from the Bible uh, and they'd talk about their days at dinner. Bible time, very important for the Duggars. Jim Bob felt it was his duty to use this time to teach his kids biblical lessons. Michelle and Jim Bob would also utilize daily checklists that would detail each child's schoolwork, chores, music lessons, and personal hygiene. They'd check each child's list to keep them on track. Oldest girls, Again, responsible for most of the daily chores uh, to keep the house running, literally preparing them for, uh, you know, doing more of the same once they were grown, as is a woman's duty. (laughs) Uh, And listen, Lindsay actually does do most of the shit in our home, but only because I shoulder most of the business load. If this is how things happen to work out in your home, yeah, awesome. No judgment. It's only when domestic duties are seen as only women's work where I think it gets problematic, right? 
where men start to think it's beneath them. Uh, the older Duggar girls would also do eight to 11 loads of laundry each day. Duggar children would also learn good life skills at home. And I do like this. Boys and girls who were interested could take a firefighter, first responder training classes. Uh, older girls would also be taught to how to uh, taught how to cut and style hair, sew clothes, and similar domestic skills. And the children will be taught to play musical instruments and practice music for a few hours every day, but no percussion. Oh, not kidding. No freaking drums. Why? Well, let me tell you. Not kidding. Uh, Bill Gothard, founder of the Institute of Basic Life Principles, taught followers that drums are the devil's favorite instrument. <laughs> a lot of fundamentalist Baptist organizations have l- truly forbid drums. That beat, you watch out for that beat. It's going to get you in trouble. It's going to get your hips moving, going to get your, your body shaking in flirtatious, tempting ways. Ugh. Oldest girls would also be in charge of the toddlers. Michelle would group the older and younger kids into buddy teams to look out for each other, do daily chores and grooming tasks. The kids could use uh, computer programs for homeschool. And who would check their work? The older girls. Again, the Duggar household, mostly run by the older girls. Uh, They check the other kids' scores, report back to Michelle, who would be the kind of primary supervisor teacher. Older children could also use online programs to earn some college credits and transfer them to a university. Jim, Bob, and Michelle felt this could allow their children, hopefully only their male children, to earn a degree without, quote, being exposed to teaching that is opposed to a conservative Christian worldview. Uh, the internet would be strictly limited in the Duggar household because, as Michelle would say, the internet has the greatest potential to destroy souls with instant, unlimited access to all sorts of immorality. And you know what? I'm not going to push back on that. It, it really does. It really does. I'm fairly certain that doing research for this show has destroyed, I would say, between 80 and 90% of my soul by now. Like when I started Time Suck, my soul was reminiscent of Christian Bale in uh, the Batman's The Dark Knight, right? Healthy, so fucking strong, a, a pure soul ready to fight evil forces. Now, oh, not pretty. Uh, my soul is like Christian Bale in The Machinist. Very weak, very unhealthy, sleep deprived, starving, paranoid and unstable. Uh, now when people see my soul, they're like, are you sure you're Okay. Your soul's not looking so good. Uh, when on the web, the Duggar children would have access to about 75 pre-approved websites, all of, uh, almost all of them, religious sites. If they wanted to research something, they would have to have an accountability partner sit next to them. Only Michelle and some of the older girls would know the internet protection password. And so they would have to sit with their older sister or their mom and make sure that, you know, uh, I don't know, Satan's pop-up ads for single mature sexy ladies in your area looking to hook up. Don't show up on the screen. Get, get out of here, Lucifina! Uh, social media not allowed for any of the Duggar children. Too much sin on those disgusting sites. Uh, however, most of them all are uh, most of them are on various social sites now. Uh, Jim, Bob, and Michelle actually joined Instagram in 2013. And look, I don't mind keeping kids uh, off of socials. You know, until a certain age, we didn't let our kids have social media accounts until uh, either eighth or ninth grade. It was a little bit behind their most of their friends, you know, maybe like a year to three years behind most of their friends. Uh, with the Duggars and similar people, I just find it a bit hypocritical. Uh, you know, it'd be like social media is full of the devil's work, but we're a brand and then we're going to use it to get our message out. Hmm. Seems like if you had a true faith-based aversion to social media, you should truly stay away from it completely 
instead of kind of taking a stand against it, but also using it to make money. Uh, the Duggar kids also had no or limited access, depending on which uh, year of the show we're talking about, to search engines. Michelle even warned her girls not to read romance novels because, quote, romance novels are to women what pornography is to men. They stir up your emotions with unreal fantasies. Okay, actually, I don't hate this. <laughs> I mean, both do present pretty unreal fantasies and can make real life seem less than by comparison. So you, you do have to keep that in mind. Uh, Jim, Bob, Michelle would allow their kids to watch TV, but not much, not many programs, just some special kind of censored channels. Uh, for a time earlier in their marriage, before kids, they did watch, you know, TV. Uh, but then they met someone uh, through their church author, Dr. Ed Wheat, and he challenged them to keep TV out of the house during the first year of marriage. Uh, and, you know, not bad advice, Dr. Wheat, uh, though that dude overall was very full of bad advice. See, this good example of the kind of people uh, that would they would look at as mentors, Jim, Bob, Michelle. Uh, Dr. Wheat, born in 1926, died in 2001 after writing a lot of books, a lot of advice. In 1983, he published a book called How to Save Your Marriage Alone. LA Weekly would do a write-up about this in 2011 after they, or, you know, somebody working for LA Weekly found a copy in a used bookstore in Pasadena. And the article about this book was called The World's Saddest Self-Help Book. And it is pretty sad. Here are some excerpts. The special advice I have for you will run counter to everything the worldly mind teaches, and it will go against your own nature to do it. Red flags. <laughs> this one is fucking terrible. This is terrible advice. Fucking horrendous advice. Totally avoid criticism of your mate, except whatever your partner is doing, whatever, literally whatever, without comment or histrionics. Do not even suggest a secret disapproval. You must be prepared to respond in a loving way, even to a continuing infidelity. Your only option is to become the husband or wife God has commanded you to be in scripture. God wants you to be a cuck, right? And to apply every principle of behavior from the word of God to the day-to-day challenges of your situation. You may well save your marriage. Without question, you will enjoy God's blessing and favor. You have the opportunity, if he is still coming home at least part of the time, to show him genuine sweetness with no bitter aftertaste and the gracious, stable serenity that only Christ can give. Your behavior can remind him of the continuing joy and dignity of remaining as the head of the family in contrast to the social spiritual degradation that biblically is promised to the man who casts his lot with an adulteress. You catching the message? Doesn't fucking matter what your spouse does. Constantly cheating on you? Maybe bringing home incurable STIs? Don't fucking mention it. Don't bring it up. Right? You fucking wear that herpes sore with pride. <laughs> and since you totally avoid criticism of your mate... Uh, you shouldn't complain if he hits you, emotionally abuses you. What? Just stay. You just stay in an abusive, degrading situation, no matter what, because you're going to get God's blessing. Do I have to spell out the domestic fucking horror shows this mentality directly leads to? Uh, anyway, back to the uh, TV. In 1985, the Duggars purchased a TV and felt that they became addicted to it, which I get. I mean, there's so much good shit to watch. If I didn't stay busy with work, I would love to be addicted to TV. And little bits and pieces, I just finished the uh, Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. Loved it. Wraps up very well. Anyway, they felt they watched uh, so much that their marriage suffered. When they did bring it back, they were real selective about what they watched, how much they watched, and later super selective about what they would allow their kids to watch. They would allow their kids to watch presidential speeches and other important historical events on TV. Uh, Duggar kids not allowed to watch reality TV unless it was rough cuts of their own show on a computer. So the kids wouldn't have to, you know, possibly see the horribly sinful commercials 
that provided the monetization of their own fucking show. (laughs) They looked down on commercials that paid nearly all of their bills. And that is, that is the height of hypocrisy, right? Commercials are disgusting. Let's get rid of them. What? Oh, oh shit. If we did that, the money train would fall off the tracks. Oh, oh, I see. Uh, Okay. Well, we're okay. We'll keep them. We'll keep them. Hopefully we'll get a lot more of them, but never will my kids watch them. Speaking of disgusting ad dollars, this feels like a great spot for today's first of two mid-show ad breaks. Thank you for listening to our evil sponsors. Uh, Now back to the Righteous Duggars. We were talking about Jim, Bob, and Michelle not allowing them to watch reality TV unless it was Rough Cuts of their own show uh, to avoid the type of commercials you just heard. The Duggar kids did not care about their Rough Cuts, though, so uh, they didn't really watch them. They They weren't interested in videos of themselves, which I get. I was never really interested in watching videos of them either after seeing a few uh, scenes. Uh, Jim, Bob, and Michelle said on their show that they had four primary goals for their kids, have a close relationship with God, learn to listen to God's voice and follow his plan, confess their mistakes to God and whoever they have wronged, serve others, and express gratefulness. That all feels like mostly one goal. Respect was one of the most important values taught in the house. Number one, respect God's laws. Number two, respect and be obedient to your parents. Respect your older siblings. Almost equally important to respecting your parents. Be obedient to them. This will be uh, this will be problematic later. Uh, for example, the Duggars allowed the older kids to pick their seats in the car first, so the other kids would learn to defer to elders. This deferring of elders, uh, yes, uh, will get problematic when it comes to sexual predator Josh Duggar, the oldest fucking Duggar kid. Uh, how did the Duggars get around multiple vans or a large school bus? If the family wanted to go on a trip, they would need about ten suitcases which apparently would usually uh, weigh between uh, 400 and 500 pounds. And who would do most of the packing for a big trip like that? Well, the older girls. I feel like my daughter Monroe has no fucking idea how easy her childhood has been. She's never packed for anyone but herself. She's almost 16. She doesn't cook nearly any of the meals. She doesn't do hardly any of the laundry. Nothing. I failed her. Uh, Michelle and Jim Bob said that their home was about a lot more than rules. They tried to build up their kids through praise, which I, I do like that mentality. Uh, Jim Bob said, praise your children 10 times more than you correct them. The Duggars would generally try to avoid praising outward appearance and instead focus on praising good character, which is very nice. I agree with Jim Bob and Michelle there, that philosophy. Uh, Michelle and Jim Bob also preferred to praise character in front of others, but discuss wrongdoings privately, which is also nice. They would talk about the consequences of actions, how to fix the situation where you've messed up. They'd make their kids go back and apologize to whom they hurt. Taught their kids to resolve their own conflicts for non-serious issues, which is great. Uh, a lot of people how would think, uh, how, how did Michelle not lose her temper with so many kids running around the house? Well, for starters, uh, she made her older daughters do most of the child rearing. So that's like, you know, one way not to get as mad at, at your kids if you have someone else taking care of them. Also, she had a daily mantra. She'd wake up each morning and strive to present a, quote, pleasant, optimistic demeanor. She also memorized two verses, Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath in James 1.20 or the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And this makes it sound like the Duggars uh, on the show. You know, we're not big disciplinarians, which they weren't when the cameras cameras were rolling, right? Cameras never captured strong discipline. But in recent years, the grown Duggar children, some interviewed for the recent Amazon Prime documentary, Shiny Happy People, have reported some disturbing acts of punishment, discipline methods taught by the Institute and Basic Life Principles such as blanket training. This is so fucked. (laughs) This is so fucked up. Blanket training is used when children are barely old enough to crawl. 
And what you do is the baby is laid down on a blanket, little baby, toy placed just out of their reach. And you tell the baby, you know, not to, not to go for it. And then every time the baby reaches for the toy, you smack them on their hand. Give them a little painful smack on their hand, hard enough to make them recoil. And you just keep doing that until eventually the baby won't try to grab the toy they love. They just lay there passively, just fucking dead in the eyes. Sounds like some kind of North Korean brainwashing. The point of this is to create a child who is completely obedient and passive. A kid who looks to their authority figure to be told what they should do in any given situation. Uh, Multiple Duggar children have said in recent years that they basically lived in constant fear of disappointing God by not being perfectly pure and obedient. Uh, They were terrified of conflict. Standing up to authority figures, you know, was just a no-no. You know, you don't do that. It would feel like you were upsetting God. And that's a great way to create a kid who, you know, might just quietly accept, say, sexual abuse. So how did the Duggars financially support such a large family before their first show launched in 2004, the first documentary? Uh, it was years later after that when they got the 19 kids in county. Uh, when Michelle started having babies in rapid succession, her family was very concerned about both her health and her and Jim Bob's ability to take care of so many kids. Uh, Jim Bob and Michelle said they were able to take care of their family mostly by living very frugally. They said their family motto is buy used and save the difference. Uh, they would buy in bulk, buy used items, buy items at yard sales. Okay, yeah, not a bad plan. Jim Bob also owned multiple businesses, including the used car lot and towing business. He followed in his mother's footsteps by buying, selling real estate, renting out commercial properties. Duggars would also frequently talk about Jim Salmon's financial freedom seminar as a reference for a godly view of how to manage debt and money. Jim, a uh, board member for the Institute of Basic Life Principles, may still be. Seems to be for that world, uh, a fairly decent guy who at least helped oust Bill Gothard, founder of the, uh, you know, IBLP after a bunch of sexual abuse allegations came to light. Uh, Jim Bob Michelle started committing to a debt-free lifestyle in 1990. Duggars would spend about $3,000 a month on groceries, would shop every month at bulk grocery stores, then make smaller weekly grocery trips. Typical day of food at the height of their uh, family might consist of three dozen eggs, five pounds of turkey bacon, 20 biscuits, 10 oranges, four pounds of grapes, three loaves of bread, four pounds of sloppy joe meat, three pounds of green beans, three pounds of potatoes, two watermelons, two family-sized bags of lettuce, four pounds of spaghetti noodles, Three loaves of bread, two pans of brownies, and a gallon of ice cream. Which sounds pretty uh, damn delicious, actually. Also regarding family finances, as soon as each kid got married, they would be expected to be completely financially independent. Jim, Bob, and Michelle spent a lot of time teaching their kids about money, so they'd be prepared for that. Jim, Bob would say, We have raised our sons a little differently from our daughters. We provide more financial support for our maturing daughters than we do our sons. For example, we have provided our older daughters with cars when they get old enough to drive. The boys have to work to earn their money because we want them to feel the pressure of needing to support themselves so that someday they'll be ready to support their families. Uh, Cool. You know, so the boys will be taught to be self-reliant and the girls will be raised primarily to be wives uh, who cannot fend for themselves. Uh, We've not done that. We, We have tried to raise both Kyler and Monroe to need no one else to take care of them. And Lucifina gave me a huge thumbs up for that. Uh, the Duggars would save money at Christmas by having their kids do a gift exchange with their own money. Jim, Bob, and Michelle would buy each child one gift and would try to focus on the true meaning of Christmas, Jesus' birth. Uh, now let's talk about the Duggars, uh, how they view gender roles, even though I think we have a pretty good idea already, but let's look further. Jim, Bob wrote in their 2009 book, The Duggars 20 and Counting, raising one of America's largest families, how they do it. We believe God made, excuse me, 
Uh, we believe God made women and men with unique qualities, strengths, and weaknesses. Men are not superior to women. I feel like he winked after he wrote that. Winked to somebody. Like, <laughs> I, I just got to put it in there. Uh, as a matter of fact, we believe women are the most special of all God's creations and men should treat them like queens. And that's a re- really nice thing to say. Uh, they, they probably meant it in some way, but they also raised their daughters to be completely 100% subservient to husbands per IBLP teachings. And that mentality does not always mesh well with being treated like a queen. It can lead to, you know, like a lot of spousal abuse and just a lot of violence in the home and not reporting it because, you know, you have to defer to your husband. Uh, The Duggars taught their boys chivalrous acts like opening doors, carrying heavy objects for women, treating women with respect. Jim, Bob, and Michelle specifically stated in their book that they are not against women going to college or working. Again, I felt like Jim Bob was like, we just, we got to put it in there. I don't know. It'll it'll just soften the the push, the kickback. Uh, They decided that if Michelle were to work, they would never depend on her money. So she could stay at home with the children if she wanted. All her money would go into savings. Uh, otherwise, she would stay home and help Jim Bob part-time with his business. Jim Bob and Michelle did encourage their daughters to have careers, kind of, until they have kids. They said, uh, or they wrote, once they're married and having babies, we hope they will make their families their number one priority and will stay home to nurture their children. And if that's what you can do, yeah, it's fucking awesome. Good for you. You know, it's great for the kids. Uh, just interesting that that is not presented as an option for men in their ideology. Right. And I say that as someone who is more work focused than my partner, you know, married to someone who has no problem being more home focused. Uh, Lindsay and I actually do happen to fall into very traditional roles. Uh, my ex-wife, though, the opposite corporate climber, uh, fucking killing it in the, in the corporate world. My kid's stepdad, he stayed at home the past few years and the kids have thrived in both of those environments. And I'm glad they've seen that uh, difference. The Duggars also uh, insist that men romantically interested in their daughters have to ask Jim Bob for permission to court their girls. And then either he, <laughs> this, this shit gets pretty entertaining. Then he uh, or Michelle will be present with them on initial dates, which are not actual dates. They're courtship meetups, uh, old school, hardcore chaperoning, young couple never to be alone together. And not, ju- not just so they can't have sex, but also so they can't kiss, make out, uh, go on regular dates, anything. As you'll see, this is pretty insane. The Duggars have written about their beliefs on courtship and on their website saying, the process of courtship seeks to avoid many of the pitfalls that often exist in a more self-focused dating relationship. Courtship is a commitment to honor God and one another with purity in your words and actions. The purpose of courtship is to determine if a couple should get married or not. All the children are told that sex is only for married men and women. Then girls and girls alone are encouraged to wear a purity ring to let any potential suitors know that they're not damaged goods, right? They have fresh, clean puss. Not some old fucking nasty sack of puss meat. Looks like somebody's uh, Arby's roast beef sandwich that they ate half of and then forgot the other half and left it on the counter for a couple of days. Now it's looking a little rancid, a little sketch. Not really kidding about this. <laughs> Jim Bob would also teach the kids the following horrific lesson. I, I read this to Lindsay when I was working on this and she was, uh, she was like, Are you, what? Are you serious? Here's the lesson he would give the kids. He would say, imagine that your parents are going to surprise you and give you a brand new bike for Christmas. Two weeks before Christmas, they buy your bike and hide it. But then the boy next door (laughs) sneaks into the shed and borrows your new bike. He stunt rides it up and down the back alley. On Christmas morning, your parents lead you out to the shed and reveal the special gift they bought for you. You're all shocked to see that the bike looks like it's been thrown off a cliff. (laughs) It looks worse than something you would have bought at a garage sale. I'm sure you would still be grateful for the bike and you would still have fun riding it, but it won't be in the condition your parents had hoped and dreamed it would be when you received it. 
in that <laughs> in that same way, we don't want any boy or girl to come and steal your purity. Holy shit! <laughs> well, uh, uh hell, well, hello, diddly do, kiddos. Time to talk about your purity. Uh, girls, think of your bodies as being bicycles, and think about your future husband wanting a shiny new bike to ride on his wedding night. But he won't get that if you've been letting every Tom, Dick, and Harry from the neighborhood hop on your bike and jump it off of curbs and ramps and half pipes and stuff. And now, now your handle breasts are all grimy from all those fellas holding on for dear life and your seat holes all worn out and dry and cracked like it's been laying out in the sun at the junkyard for weeks. You know, uh, who wants to ride that bike? All your value is in your puss, ladies. The rest of you doesn't fucking matter. Right, that's, that's the basic gist of that message. Uh, now let's talk about actual dating. The Duggars don't believe in any real dating until after marriage, uh, like to the point that like, like you don't go to dinners and movies with someone you're romantically interested in alone until after you're already married. And since you consummate your marriage on your wedding night, you go from not having kissed someone or have been on a regular date with him ever to fucking them and immediately trying to get pregnant and then living with them and being responsible for providing for them or handling all the domestic duties, doing whatever your husband wants in just like a matter of a few hours. Uh, the Duggars raised their kids. And I imagine they still raise them to believe that there are seven phases to a godly relationship. Waiting, evaluating, considering, pre-engagement, engagement, marriage, then dating. That's the last one. <laughs> this is fucking crazy. During the waiting phase, boys and girls should focus on developing their relationship with God instead of shallow relationships with others. God will bring your husband or wife into your life when the time's right. In the evaluating phase, you should write out a list of positive and negative character qualities that you want or don't in a spouse. In the considering phase, you compare your potential partner to a list and pray about it, <laughs> to the list you've made and pray. Then decide if you want to pursue a relationship. Men are expected to approach the father first to discuss the courtship. Uh, Jim Bob would make potential male suitors for his daughters fill out a 423-item questionnaire to decide if they were suitable to court his daughters. Derek Dillard has confirmed he had to take a questionnaire before courting Jill Duggar. And here are some of the questions. Question 50. How many times have you read through your Bible? 66. Describe your relationship with your father. Was it honoring? Was it obedient? 67. Does your father have any medical or mental problems that could affect you or your children? 119. What are your views on women working outside the home? 125, what is your stand on abortion? What about in the case of rape? 140, is there ever a cause for divorce? <laughs> no, sorry, Bob, Jim Bob. As taught by the Institute in Basic Life Principles, even if you beat the ever-loving shit out of your wife every day, she needs to stay with you because marriage is forever. It's sacred. For better or ass whooping worse. Uh, the pre-engagement phase is when the courtship actually begins. The couple and both their families aside, just like in cultures with arranged marriages or in, the, in this culture, in the, in the days of yore, the good old days, uh, if they're a good match. Then they begin courting and working towards engagement. All initial dates, but not really dates, just supervised visits, kind of like hanging out with someone in prison who doesn't have conjugal rights, uh, are chaperoned by a family member. These dates have very strict rules. Complete, total supervision. No kissing until the wedding day. Minimal hand-holding and minimal hugging. Speaking of hugs, <laughs> this is my favorite part about this. Absolutely no front hugs. No front hugging. Don't you push your chest on my daughter's titties. Gosh darn it. Don't you let your devil prick get within a few inches of her sin puss. Don't you defile her bicycle. Make it unrideable. 
One of the older Duggar daughters, Jessa, courted Ben Seawald, now her husband. Uh, Ben lived four hours away, had to ask permission from Jim Bob to even text Jessa. And then Jim Bob agreed, but only on the condition that he and Michelle were part of a group threat. (laughs) Jim Bob and Michelle didn't, you know, usually text anything, just monitored. One time they chimed in when Ben told Jessa to give him a ring uh, when she had time. And Jim Bob responded, no rings yet, smiley face. Easy, tiger. Stop trying to talk to my daughter. You're courting for marriage on the phone and word fuck her virgin ear holes. You know, stop trying to stop trying to break her dirty talk hymen. Uh, eventually, Jessa and Ben would be allowed to talk on the phone for one hour each night with Jim, Bob, and Michelle listening. Of course. Jim, Bob, and Michelle always recommended a short engagement phase to avoid temptation to kiss or front hug. <laughs> you, gotta be, you do have to be careful with those front hugs. They are the gateway to dry humping. Nothing will secretly wear down and rust up a sex bike like too much dry humping. Uh, after that short engagement phase, the happy couple could then finally get married and go on real dates when they wanted to by themselves. They could even have whatever kind of sex they wanted, except oral or anal or just using hands or titty fucking or foot fetish stuff or pulling out to ejaculate or almost anything. None of that is for procreation. So it's sinful, disgusting. You should carry around a lot of guilt and shame for even thinking about it. To make sure his daughters didn't engage in the wrong kind of sex for the first six months of marriage, Jim Bob would watch his daughters fuck and occasionally correct uncouth behavior. <laughs> Whoa, diddly do! Wrong hole there, buddy. <laughs> careful, careful. Watch your hands. Ignore the little bald man in the boat. The clitoris is called uh, the devil's do- doorbell for a reason. Has nothing to do with making uh, bow diddly babies. This isn't about pleasure. It's about pro diddly creation. <laughs> I realize that has nothing. That sounds nothing like Ned Flanders. Uh, sometimes when they were doing it right, he would cheer on his son-in-laws. <laughs> yes, Jesus diddly loves you. He wants you to come diddly dumb. Jim Bob didn't watch, of course. I'm being ridiculous. Uh, Josh may be dead, but not Jim Bob. In addition to courtship, there are many rules of daily life that the Duggard children were expected to follow. Uh, their days were, again, I think probably still are, uh, heavily regimented, so many rules. For example, strict rules for clothing. Everyone, boy or girl, must be covered from shoulders to knees. That includes swimwear. Jim, <laughs> you gotta love that swimwear. Uh, those, uh, those swimsuits for the girls that go down to their knees. Uh, Jim, Bob, and Michelle would reference Exodus twenty-eight forty-two: linen breeches to cover their nakedness, for from the loins even unto the thighs they shall reach. Okay. Weird that they didn't stone it, stone anyone though, right? They got they followed a lot of these very literally, but n- not the stoning part. Hmm. Uh, girls were also required to wear dresses and not jeans, based on Deuteronomy twenty-two five: the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man; neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. The Duggars wrote in their book: we believe that a man's physical drives are excited by what he sees. And it is defrauding for a woman to wear clothing that accents her body instead of bringing attention to her countenance. Stop defrauding us, ladies. Put a long dress over your yoga pants already. Come on. Shouldn't be able to see the outside of your labia. I'm standing in line for coffee. You're defrauding me. You're making me want to front hug some woman who's not my wife. Also, it's painful. Boner's very painful for me now. Considering the recent string of absolutely true mishaps that have left me with a 135-degree angle bone. Also, the Duggars were, uh, (laughs) at all times, to avoid inappropriate TV, music, no drums, images, and just avoid people being inappropriate. When they'd be out in public and someone uh, was spotted who was, say, scantily clad, you know, like you could see above their knees, they would actually say the code word Nike. (laughs) Which would signal to all the boys to drop their eyes. Oh my gosh. And yeah, that would that would even include something like, you know, uh, seeing a lady out and about in yoga pants. 
Or worse, whew, volleyball shorts. Ah! Like if the Duggar boys uh, would have been taken to a high school volleyball game, they would have been expected to stare at the floor the entire time and possibly plug their ears. Not kidding. If people around them started to curse, you know, talk about evolution or something. Uh, Michelle and Jim Bob would follow a lot of extra rules themselves, uh, like Old Testament law for when uh, to resume sex after childbirth. They would wait 40 days after a boy and 80 days after a girl. You got to wait twice as long after girls because of how gross and evil their vaginas are, right? I mean, one vagina coming out of another vagina? Ah! That's Satan. That's Satan in a nutshell. Uh, They taught their children to never get tattoos or piercings, drink alcohol, or watch TV without permission. Now let's look a little further into their religious beliefs. Where the fuck is all this crazy coming from? Uh, The Duggar family identifies as independent Baptist. Independent Baptist, known as independent fundamentalist Baptist. Christian congregations that hold conservative fundamentalist values and beliefs, uh, but beliefs that adhere or that, excuse me, that vary from church to church sometimes quite a bit. They won't follow just like a group. These, you know, the independent means they don't believe in church autonomy, don't join with affiliated Baptist denominations. This movement began in the US and UK in the late 19th and early 20th centuries amongst Baptist congregations concerned about ideas in the church that they felt were too liberal and modern, like women wearing pants and church music having a drum. The drum thing actually is uh, true. I'll talk about it later in this episode, but I want to say now, I, I'm pretty sure that Jim Bob took his family from one church to another because he was disgusted by the drumming <laughs> at a Christmas uh, uh, fucking um, sermon. And he was like, we're out. We're out. Ah, see the kids moving around to those drums. Uh-uh, not on my watch. Okay, independent Baptist estimated to take up roughly 2.5% of the U.S. adult population, which might not sound like much at first, but that's over 8 million people. <laughs> over 8 million people who listen to some version of this and think, no, nah, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. Uh, independent Baptists believe in biblical authority, uh, the priesthood of all believers. Many independent Baptists only read the King James Version of the Bible because the KJV literally translated word for word from the Hebrew and Latin versions of the Bible. So seen as the most pure, even though it had already been translated several times before that. A lot of independent Baptists, Duggars included, do not believe in evolution. Uh, also men always the head of the household, women to be submissive to their husbands and fathers. As I've said, submit. Okay, ladies, us righteous patriarchs. We're fucking tired of the sass, especially in my house where Lindsay has still not worked on her subservience. I'm, I'm probably gonna have to stone her. Not like a full stoning, maybe like a, a quarter stoning. Just a couple rocks, you know, tossed at her just to remind her of what can happen to a willful lady. Uh, because of these beliefs, the Duggars have courted some controversy over the years by supporting some uber-conservative Christian organizations. Uh, while their show was on the air, they got uh, took some heat over their supportive focus on the family. Uh, and I think this group is actually pretty tame compared to the Institute in Basic Life Principles. But let's, uh, let's look at a bit at them. Focus on the Family's website description reads, Focus on the Family is a global Christian ministry dedicated to helping families thrive. We provide help and resources for couples to build healthy marriages, that reflect God's design and for parents to raise their children according to morals and values grounded in biblical principles. We support families as they seek to teach their children about God and his beautiful design for the family, protect themselves from the harmful influences of culture and equip themselves to make a greater difference in the lives of those around them. FOTF has six pillars. One, preeminence of evangelism. The purpose of life is to know and glorify God. Two, permanence of marriage. Marriage is a lifelong relationship, enduring through trials, sickness, financial crises, and emotional stresses. Three, value of children. Children are a blessing from God. Four, sanctity of human life. Human life starts at conception. Five, don't treat your puss like an old bike. 
The spin ran around the back alley, jumped off of ramps, and wrecked into dumpsters and shit. Real number five, social responsibility. Family, church, and the government are for the benefit of mankind, and Christians are called to influence these institutions uh, based on God's design. Six, value of male and female. Men and women are unique. Sexuality is reserved for marriage only. FOTF also offers, and this is uh, you know super kind and thoughtful of them, several resources for people, quote, struggling with homosexuality. They encourage people to reach out to one of their Christian counselors. Writing on their website, we understand that feelings are difficult, if not impossible to control. Fortunately, the same thing can't be said about actions. Shut out all that political noise on the subject and take a close and careful look at your options. Remember that gay is just an artificial construct, a word that means what other people say it means. (laughs) Wow, the mental fucking gymnastics of this. We'd encourage you to not allow yourself to get locked into that category. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, gay meat sex. Stop locking yourself up into in a, in a made-up cage. Everyone knows that you're actually attracted to members of the opposite sex, but you just play with the genitals of the same sex, uh, which you find repulsive, actually, only to piss off the rest of us and fuck with God, right? Gay male time suckers, why don't you listen up? Stop thinking about dick. Knock it off. Every time you start to think about dick, especially hard dick, touching your lips or tongue or whatnot, I want you to yell out, not today, Satan. I want you to start chanting, I love puss. Puss is the best. Dicks are gross. Glory be to God. Now, lady gay suckers, you listen up. Stop taking your fucking bikes and slamming them into other bikes and back alleys. Stop thinking about puss. Don't even think about your own. If that devil puss wants you to say, rub that clit around in a circular motion at a steady rhythm, steadily building in pace while another lady lover sucks on your nipples, maybe also pushes her warm, wet pussy down on your face, gently, but pretty firmly scream out, I see you, Satan, not today. And then punch her pussy and then punch your own pussy, but not in a fun way. Then grab a dildo and then, you know, not ideal, but better than the alternative, push it in and out of your vagina while you chant, I wish this was my husband's penis. I wish I had his baby in my belly. I wish a man could tell me what to do. (laughs) Focus on the family is aggressively homophobic. Uh, FOTF president Jim Daly has suggested that allowing gay marriage will literally destroy society. Right? It'd be fucking, everything will be on fire (laughs) as soon as we allow gay marriage. Organization members have referred to the children of uh, same-sex couples as human guinea pigs. Uh, FOTF raised over $500 million in the first decade of the 2000s, making them for a time one of the most well-funded anti-LGBT organizations in the country, if not the world. FOTF even promotes conversion therapy. Uh, They oppose same-sex adoption. They believe being gay or transgender is a mental illness. They've also accused anti-bullying programs in schools of promoting homosexuality and reverse discrimination. (laughs) Uh, FOTF believes that employers should be allowed to reject LGBT uh, job candidates and business owners should have the right to turn away LGBT customers. Circling back to conversion therapy, 20 states in the U.S. and various uh, counties of other states have banned its use for minors because it's very damaging. The UN defines conversion therapy as an umbrella term for interventions of a wide-ranging nature based on the belief that a person's sexual orientation and gender identity can and should or can be changed or or suppressed and aimed at changing them to heterosexual or cisgender. This practice has been deemed harmful and very ineffective by legal, medical, and psychological experts, experts, excuse me, Uh, but still folks on the family provides a list of counselors offering to treat homosexuality issues and gender identity issues. Code words for conversion therapy. Okay, now that we have a real feel for the Duggars, let's learn a bit about their rise and fall, right? The big dark secret that led them to the loss of their show. Also learn more 
about the very troubling institute and basic life principles. We've just touched the tip of the iceberg in today's timeline. Right after today's second mid-show sponsor break, if you don't want to hear these ads, uh, we are now offering ad-free episodes of Time Suck on Patreon if you'd like to be a space lizard for five bucks a month. And I'm back. And now time for a real righteous timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. July 18th, 1965. James Robert, Jim Bob. Duggar, born in Springdale, Arkansas. Uh, Springdale, the fourth largest city in Arkansas, spreading across Washington and Benton counties. An important industrial city and home to Tyson's Foods, uh, Tyson Foods headquarters. Uh, the 2019 population was 79,598. Springdale, about three hours from Little Rock. Uh, it's been the Duggar family's home for, for many years, the Springdale area. Jim Bob's parents were Jimmy Lee Duggar and Mary Duggar. Uh, Mary and James got married in November of 1960. Jim Bob has uh, one sister named Deanna, who is four years older than he. Uh, the two have been estranged for many years. Deanna feels that Jim Bob is a liar and a manipulator, someone whose public image does not match his private one. Uh, she posted on social media earlier this year regret regarding her brother. You may tell the greatest lies and wear a brilliant disguise, but you can't escape the eyes of the one who sees right through you. So interesting that his one sibling thinks that of him. Uh, their parents, Mary and James Lee, worked as real estate brokers until their retirement. James died on February 9th, 2009 of brain cancer, 73 years old. Mary unexpectedly passed uh, June 9th, 2019 at the age of 78. Uh, she slipped and drowned in the pool at her house in Springdale. Uh, Jim Bob didn't have a pool growing up. Uh, he grew up in a poor family. He used to, uh, he would use that to try and inspire his own kids to work hard later in life. He wrote in his book about a time when his family had no food except for a decorative jar of rice. And his mom had to cook that rice just so they could have something to eat that night. Jim Bob's childhood home foreclosed when he was in middle school. Uh, his parents had to move into a rental. Luckily, a year later, they turned their finances around, bought a house. Then they learned about a developer who wanted to build a hotel in the area, sold some acres of land between the house and highway to them, then used the proceeds to build rental properties next door. And the family was fine after that. Not rich, but stable. And Jim Bob was sold on wanting to also work in real estate. Jim Bob will write about how he struggled in school. He was a slow test taker, a bad reader, uh, didn't get the best grades, also terrified of public speaking. For the duration of his show, he would view nighttime Bible time with his family as a way to improve his reading and speaking skills. When Jim Bob was seven, he told his mom he wanted to become Christian. They went down to a revival in Fayetteville. His mom took him to a pastor. Jim Bob and the pastor prayed together. When the pastor asked Jim Bob if he felt different, he said no. Felt embarrassed, so they prayed again. Jim Bob still didn't, still didn't feel any different, but now lied to the pastor, which led to doubts later about religion when he was a teen. And then he prayed for more answers and decided to commit his life to Christ. On September 13th, 1966, Michelle Annette Ruark, born in Tawnytown, Arkansas, just outside Springdale, like bumps up against basically 4,000 people there now, only 300 in 1966. Her parents were Ethel and Garrett Ruark. Garrett Floyd Ruark, born December 7th, 1924 in Firebrick, Kentucky. It's a pretty fucking cool town name. Uh, lived until June 18th, 2010. He was an army veteran of World War II where he earned a Purple Heart uh, for service. Badass. Ethel Marie Harden, born February 19th, 1927, died August 11th, 1991. Couple originally from Ohio. Uh, they married in 1943, had seven kids. Michelle became a Christian at the age of 15 when a friend told her that God hated her fucking guts. I mean, could forgive her sins. 
Uh, Michelle has admitted that she became a Christian uh, before, excuse me, before she became a Christian. She did like to, and I hope you're sitting down for this, flirt with boys. Seriously. I literally passed out from shock the first time I read it. How could she? She could have easily permanently ruined her bike. She was a teenager. She later admitted that she sometimes liked it when boys checked her out, as in sexually, when they would see some of her lady skin, including upper thigh. Yes. She would think about how fun it might be to make out with them and stuff. She would even give out front hugs all fucking willy-nilly. She was even, and she will truly regret this later in her pen, actually, a cheerleader in high school. A A freaking cheerleader? Like the kind who would wear short skirts and fly up into the air in a manner that allowed anyone watching to see a lot of her lady skin, probably less than six inches away from her vagina and buttocks. And she would admit, even when it was not game day, even when she was not wearing her cheerleading outfit, she would sometimes also wear other skirts and tank tops. Lucifina called out to her and at great risk to her immortal soul, she answered. Uh, But then thankfully, Michelle changed her life. Got away from all that trash. She became a Christian. No more cheerleading. No more skirts. No more cleavage. No thanks, Satan. So how did Jim Bob meet Michelle? Well, he walked past her one day when she was wailing outside the school, wearing a full body fucking snowsuit on a warm spring day, gloves, hat, only exposed skin being just a little bit of her face. And she was crying out, is this too much, Lord? Is this still too much of my dirty sin skin to be worth your love? Is my bike clean enough? For heaven? And when Jim Bob saw her anguish and torment, her self-loathing and fear and confusion, he was greatly aroused. And he called out to her, Woman, thou art lost, for you have no righteous man to submit to. Allow me to lead you to thy Lord. But first, let me sing you the only song you will ever need to find strength. To or maybe all that only happened in my mind. And in real life, Jim Bob went out on a Tuesday night church visitation with his friend, Fred Perro. They had three cards full of names of people they were supposed to visit. People like myself who might need some spiritual guidance, but then no one answered their doors. I'm guessing a lot of those people were home, <laughs> but we're just hiding. Ah, oh, fucking great. Those weirdos are back. This is what I get for letting them talk to me and giving them uh, our address when they, when they cornered me outside the grocery store to start to chat me up about some pamphlet. I was just trying to be nice. Uh, Jim, Bob, and Fred, after reaching uh, no one, prayed about who they should visit next. Then Fred had his prayer answered and said, hey, I know a girl that just became Christian and she's a cheerleader. And Jim, Bob was like, are you fucking shitting me? No, he said, let's go and see her. And I bet he did. I bet he wanted to see her uh, real quick. Cheerleader? Not some old widow or weird guy who lives alone? Uh, They went to the Ruark house, sat with Michelle in her living room. Jim, Bob was shy, so Fred talked most of the time. Jim, Bob thought Michelle was beautiful, but he was too intimidated to say anything to her. Probably just continually pray quietly, asking God for strength to fight off the devil who is making him think about sins of the flesh, about fully clothed front hugs. Jim Bob was successful that day, not in talking to Michelle, but in resisting lustful temptation. They don't talk for about a year. Then Michelle gets a job at a yogurt shop managed by Jim Bob's mom. Jim Bob came to that shop, helped out with repairs one day, uh, met her again, went in the back, fucked some yogurt, came back. No, uh, he worked up enough courage to talk to Michelle and then... He submitted her. Glorious subservience. Jim Bob was going to uh, go to a technical school in Little Rock to learn how to repair computers, but after he fell in love, he was like, frick that, and he stayed in Springdale. Dropped out. Uh, December of 1983, Jim Bob purchased a $350 ring, asked Michelle's father for permission to marry her. May I submit your daughter and replace you, sir, as her rightful lord and master? Do with her as I wish. 
forever. Amen. He's like, what the fuck did you just say, Jim Bob? Uh, may, I, may I please marry your daughter, sir? December 24th, 1983, Jim Bob proposes to Michelle. She happily accepts. March of 1984, Mr. Ruark gets a new job, though, out of state. Michelle's going to have to move to North Carolina with the fam. As soon as she finishes high school in May, Jim Bob is devastated. So he asks uh, Michelle's dad for permission to, to marry her more quickly. That's summer. He sells Michelle's dad on the idea by telling him that he worked at a grocery store, had a real estate license. He was going to buy a house. He loved Michelle. He would provide for her. Mr. Ruark, initially still not sure. Apparently, they were, they were both in tears during this conversation about who should own uh, Michelle. And then finally, Jim Bob uh, begged Mr. Ruark, I love your daughter. I really believe I can provide for her and take care of her. And I don't want to see her move away to North Carolina. Michelle's mother finally intervened and said, Garrett, just let the little boy marry the girl. And so they went back to the uh, cage where Michelle was uh, locked in. And they fucking drugged that cage out. And then they let her walk into a different cage that Jim Bob owned. <laughs> or something. Uh, July 21st, 1984, Michelle and Jim Bob are married. This was three months after Michelle graduated high school. Three days after Jim Bob's 19th birthday. Michelle's 17. She'll turn 18 later that year. So almost too old, really. I mean, for Jim Bob, you know. Uh, the couple got married in the hallway of a big gymnasium because their church was under construction at the time. There was lines of folding chairs for pews. Michelle did a lot of DIY projects to save money, made a bouquet of fake flowers, wore Jim Bob's mother's wedding dress. That is pretty cute. Duggars rented a cabin in Mount Nebo, Arkansas for the honeymoon. They returned home to the $19,000, 900-square-foot fixer-upper Jim Bob had bought. <laughs> that blows me away. $19,000 buy a house this wasn't that long ago you could buy a house for nineteen thousand dollars uh they spent the rest of their honeymoon fixing up the house this house would also become the sales office for jim bob's car dealership michelle wrote there were no doors on our kitchen cabinets and the place needed a lot of work that was okay we were living in love and it was so exciting adorable actually Uh, michelle was on birth control when she and jim bob got married they decided they wanted to wait a bit to have kids good decision very good right try and get some stability financially before bringing a child into the world Jim Bob started selling used cars from his front yard. I'm sure his neighbors fucking love that. Uh, all while keeping his job at the grocery store. Michelle ran the office during the day while Jim Bob was at the grocery store. Eventually, they moved into a smaller house on a busy road so they could advertise their cars better. Excuse me. Jim Bob and Michelle sold life insurance for a while. Jim Bob left the grocery store and then started a towing service in addition to that used car lot. And I do love the grind. I love the hustle. Throwing shit against the wall. See what sticks. March 3rd, 1988. Three years into their marriage, Michelle gives birth to her first child, Joshua. Rumor is Josh may have fondled his mom's vagina on the way out. It's a rumor that I started. Afterwards, Michelle decides to go back on birth control because she uh, didn't think that'll make that joke will make sense later if you're very confused. Uh, Michelle decided to go back on birth control because she didn't think they were ready for more children, right? Pretty responsible decision. But then she got pregnant while on the pill, miscarried in her first trimester, and her doctor told her her miscarriage most likely caused by the pill. And Michelle and Jim Bob are devastated. And they decide to seek out a good marriage counselor with a focus on grief to figure out how to process the trauma, deal with the intense emotions. No, JK. They, uh, they read the Bible as a source of comfort and seek counseling. But, uh, or excuse me, and do not seek counseling. They're reminded that children are a blessing from God. They feel ashamed of themselves. They repent. They ask for forgiveness for not desiring more children. They pray, please let us have as many children as you want us to have God. And holy shoot, would God hear those prayers and answer. God was so mad at Michelle for taking that birth control, he decided to absolutely destroy her puss. He decided to take her bicycle, fucking jump it off 19 huge ramps and counting, and then just fucking throw it into the Grand Canyon. Uh, 1997, Jim Bob feels like God put it on his heart to run for a seat in the state legislature 
They now have eight kids, ninth on the way. Uh, He writes in his book, it was a ridiculous idea because no one in my family had ever had any political aspirations or connections. And I was terrified of public speaking. Michelle was just as surprised when I told her about the idea. One day, Jim Bob was listening to a Christian radio station, heard that Christians in the Arkansas legislature were planning a rally to ban partial birth abortion. Michelle and Jim Bob were already going to Little Rock for a child's appointment. They decided to swing by the rally. Jim Bob wrote, more than 2,000 people showed up in front of the Capitol begging the senators and representatives to pass this ban. Instead, they voted it down. I didn't hear any audible voices or see any lightning bolts from heaven that day, but I felt God speaking to my heart, telling me to run for state representative. My only credentials were that I could vote the right way on life and death issues, and I could probably encourage others to vote the right way. 1998, Jim, Bob, Michelle, and some of their kids campaign around Springdale. They knock on doors, drive in parades, hold barbecues, pass out flyers to spread Jim Bob's conservative message. And then Jim Bob is shocked, or excuse me, he shocks a lot of people when he wins a seat in the Arkansas House of Representatives, District 6. From January 11th, 1999 to January 13th, 2003, Jim Bob Duggar serves in the Arkansas House of Representatives for District 6, two uh, terms. He will also serve as vice chair of the House Connections and Criminal Law Subcommittee, and he participates in the House Insurance and Commerce Committee and the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, Next, Jim Bob felt that God was telling him to be more humble, though, after these two terms, and that God wanted him to work as a grade school custodian. Also, God told him to try and reach uh, Arkansas's most sinful population, and then in order to do so, he should work the graveyard shift at a porn shop next to a truck stop. So being a humble servant, he does just that. Holy diddly dildos. Kidding, of course. Uh, funny to me how God sure seems to tell a lot of people to do what they already clearly wanted to do. And that's what happens here. Jim Bob now feels like God wants him to run for a state or a seat in the U.S. Senate. He runs against an incumbent, has no party support, only God's blessing in his mind. He now has 14 kids and counting. His family helps him campaign during the primary. They hold rallies all over the state. They spend $110,000 of their own money from a property sale. And then in April of 2002, Jim Bob Duggar, or Duggar loses badly. To incumbent state uh, Senator Tim Hutchinson in the primaries, he received only 22% of his party's votes. And the next time he prayed, God was like, gotcha, sucker. (laughs) Oh, let it be known that that God has a great sense of humor. I mean, I really had to go, didn't I? The look on your face when the vote totals were announced, priceless. You, a senator? Now, I see you uh, more in the uh, reality TV uh, freak show space. Uh, Jim Bob's platform included the stance that rape and incest represent heinous crimes and as such should be treated as capital crimes. And this is interesting to know about him, that incest should be treated as a capital crime, as in people get the death penalty for it, uh, considering what will happen later and what he will cover up. I'll be honest, if I was uh, you know, voting in Arkansas and he was saying that, I would be intrigued. You may have just gotten my vote, good sir. Uh, go on, more death talk, please. I'm in favor. Uh, Jim Bob would hold this stance publicly while hiding already the crimes of his uh, own incestuous child. Uh, More on that later. Uh, Jim Bob opposed abortion, supported prohibition of partial birth abortion, wanted to increase funding for higher education in K-12, but decrease environmental and welfare funding. He supported increasing funding for state prisons, supported the death penalty, penalties besides incarceration for nonviolent offenders, supported informing communities when a sex offender moves in. Jim Bob also supported prosecuting youth accused of certain felonies as adults. Also interesting to know, considering what uh, one of his kids will do. Jim Bob supported voluntary prayer in schools and posting the Ten Commandments in schools. Wanted to ease state restrictions on gun sale and possession, allow concealed carry. Uh, Voted that assisted suicide should be illegal. Sexual orientation should not be part of anti-discrimination laws and sex marriage should be banned. Following the loss, Jim Bob initially was confused, but then decided it was still all part of God's plan. 
feel like Jim Bob isn't good at figuring out what God is planning. If he felt that God's plan for him was to be a U.S. senator. And then immediately after getting his fucking ass kicked uh, and losing badly, still thinks everything is going according to plan. I'm not sure Jim Bob has a solid grasp of what the word plan means. Uh, Jim Bob wrote, following his guidance, I had uh, run for the Senate and lost, but soon we saw obeying him had led us to that position where we could share our faith from a much bigger platform, bigger in fact than we could have ever imagined. All part of the plan. No matter what happens, it's part of the plan. April 15th, 2002. The New York Times posts an article discussing the large Duggar family in Jim Bob's campaign. Jim Bob uh, didn't even know about the article at first because he was and still is completely illiterate. Uh, No, he can read. He and Michelle just didn't read the New York Times. A few days later, they received a call from a New York freelancer asking to do a story on their family. They agreed to do an interview and then the story would run in Penthouse. I mean, Parents Magazine. And then Eileen O'Neill, CEO of Discovery Health, read that article. And their life was really about to change. Jim, Bob, and Michelle soon received a call from Bill Hayes with Figure 8 Films. He told them that Discovery Health Channel execs read the article, wanted to do a documentary on the logistics of raising 14 kids. Jim, Bob, and Michelle didn't watch broadcast TV at that time. I mean, with all the lady skin being casually and carnally displayed, with all the unmarried, unchaperoned front hugs, how could they? They didn't know Discovery Health was a TV channel. Jim, Bob, Michelle decided to agree to the doc, feeling it would be a good opportunity to share their beliefs. They agreed on the condition that anything they said about their faith would be included in the documentary. Discovery Health agreed to those terms, and soon Bill Hayes had a film crew in Arkansas. September of 2004, the Duggars appeared in the Discovery Health doc titled 14 Children and Pregnant Again, a 43-minute documentary special. That's how it all started. First appearance on national TV. According to Jim Bob, their documentary got the most views of any show in the history of Discovery Health. Feedback from viewers, extremely positive. Duggars now filmed a few more docs for Discovery Health over the next few years. Get some more rating home runs. And the network's parent company now asked him to do a weekly reality series. Uh, Jim Bob and Michelle supposedly didn't even know what reality TV was. But again, they agreed, decided it would be a good opportunity to spread their ministry. And eventually they get a deal with TLC to film their uh, now famous show. Uh, around this time, uh, before they got the TLC show, right after the first uh, doc, they, uh, they felt like they were outgrowing their home. So they decided to build a new house for the family. 2006, the Duggar family moved from their 900 square feet home into a 7,000 square feet mansion in Tawnytown, Arkansas. Holy shit, that is an upgrade. House took a year and a half to complete and supposedly a mix up with the builder led to them getting triple the amount of supplies they needed. And that's why they ended up with the big house, right? They ended up getting a house three times uh, as big as they planned. Right? Otherwise, they would have been much more modest. And I'm going to call uh, bullshit on this claim. I was raised in the world of construction. My pastor, grandpa, grandpa Bill, he was a contractor for most of his life, carpenter. Most of my dad's brothers, my dad himself worked as contractors slash carpenters most of their lives. My grandpa Ward also worked in construction the last 10 to 20 years of his working life as a carpenter. I've heard a lot of talk about bids and jobs. Worked on quite a few projects myself. Have never, ever heard of anyone getting three times the supplies they needed and not be charged three times as much. This feels phony as fuck. Oh, gosh dang. You said uh, you wanted a 2,300 square foot home. Oh, man, I, I heard you say 7,000 square feet. I have all the supplies here for 7,000 square feet. And, you know, since it's my bad, I guess you can have all them for free. Get out of here. Uh, their new house had a massive industrial kitchen, plus another regular kitchen, girls' room, boys' room, playroom, homeschool room, living area, tons of bedrooms, large garage, and some of the painting, decorating, furnishing, appliances, other finishing touches, such as a stocked pantry provided by Discovery Networks and corporate sponsors. 
as part of the one-hour television special entitled 16 Children and Moving In. Uh, the network also helped find contractors to work for free. Uh, they would become, uh, this would become their new home regularly later featured on their TV show. And I think where they still live today, December 7th, 2006, the Duggars scheduled for an interview with the Oprah Winfrey show until the staff receives an anonymous email about molestation accusations. The email said that someone in the Duggar family molested another family member while they were sleeping and that Jim Bob quote lies to his church and his friends to make him look good. The police later determined that the sender was a 61-year-old woman from Rogers, Arkansas, but they did not identify her. Here is the full email. Topic, question. Message, before you air the Duggar family from Arkansas with blank, you need to know the truth. They are not what they seem to be. Blank has molested blank while blank were sleeping, and the parents have been hiding the secret for a long time. Jim Bob lies to his church and his friends to make him look good. At this moment, he is in trouble with the church for lying about blank and things that concern the way the church members reacted. I think that you should know the truth before you make before they make a complete fool of you and your show. They have been on TV before and come across as a perfect family, which couldn't be further from the truth. They jump from show to show to receive gifts for their family to make them look really good too. Please consider this and confront them about their secret. Oprah's staff, doing a bit more digging, canceled the interview. Uh, even though Oprah's Harper or Harpo Studios had already flown the family to Chicago. And then the studio faxes the email to the Department of Human Services hotline. That same month, the Arkansas police interviewed Jim Bob and Michelle to follow up on this tip. According to the Northwest Arkansas uh, Democrat Gazette 2000, in 2015, uh, there was an article that said, the time in which charges should be filed expired before Springdale police received an anonymous tip. It was discovered that the police didn't take any action besides making an official report. Also sure seems, as we will learn soon, that Jim Bob lied a bunch to cover up the real nature of the crimes referenced in the email. Uh, more details, more details, excuse me, about all this will be revealed in 2015, and we will reach that point in the timeline here very soon. 2008, TLC began airing the brand new reality TV series in the Duggar family, 17 Kids and Counting. It'll change to 18, then 19 Kids and Counting. At the time, family reality shows were uh, doing well on TLC. The Duggars were an instant hit. Actually, they became TLC's most popular show ever. At its height, over 3 million people tuned in every episode. People were fascinated with how different their lives were from mainstream America. Of course, there were those who hated the show and questioned the family's values. They did get some hate mail for sure, but overall, support far outweighed criticism. They also had to deal with shady people figuring out where they live, though. Uh, they allowed one woman to visit them in their home, hoping to encourage her towards Christianity. They thought the visit went well. Nothing was amiss. But then a few weeks later, another viewer emailed them, said Ginger's diary was being sold on eBay for $100,000. And that is fucked up. Lady stole one of their kids' diaries and was going to release it publicly. Sure enough, Michelle Check saw that the diary was being sold from their visitor's home city, confronted the woman about it, said that she forgave her. But if she didn't return that diary, they were going to have to take legal action. Another time, a reporter came to the house when Jim, Bob, and Michelle were not home. Some of the older girls let her inside. She took pictures. Jim, Bob, and Michelle were upset, told her she didn't have permission to release those photos, but the reporter told them she was going to do it anyway. Also interviewed Jim, Bob, and Michelle's high school classmates, and the reporter posted a story titled The Great Cover-Up. She wrote about how Michelle used to mow the lawn in her bikini when she was in high school. This was before she became uh, you know, Christian and started dressing more modestly. And this was meant to be a big scandal, but Michelle admitted to doing it and the show uh, on the show, and then they, and they laughed about it. And that is, you know, fucked up. This person tried to make that a scandal. Uh, Duggars eventually had to install a security gate to protect their privacy. December fourth, two thousand nine, Michelle experienced severe chest pain while an Australian film crew was at the house. She was twenty four weeks pregnant with her nineteenth child, Josie. 
Meanwhile, uh, or excuse me, Michelle went to the hospital at the end of the day and doctors found a gallstone the size of a marble, said she possibly had kidney stones. Michelle had to spend the night at the hospital. She started having contractions. Contractions continued. Doctors informed her they may have to deliver the baby early. Transferred Michelle to Little Rock. Uh, Jim Bob went home to tell the family and pick up his oldest daughter, Jana. Told his kids there was a chance both Michelle and the baby could die. Michelle's condition did get progressively worse as the days passed. Sadly, I bet the people working on the show were excited about this, right? Maybe thought about how good for ratings it would be if Michelle did die. And Jim Bob now had to struggle with how to figure out how to raise the rest of the kids alone and uh, court some new woman, then get married, right? So much drama, so good for ratings. (laughs) I worked on a variety of reality shows as a producer for several years and can 100% see this happening. I did work with some great people, but also some real soulless producers uh, who care, you know, way more about ratings and money than about any harm the show may cause anyone. December 10th, 2009, Josie Duggar, Duggar um, child number 19, born at 24 weeks, weighed just 22 ounces when she was born. Jim, Bob, and Michelle had to wait 45 days to hold her. Michelle had no idea she wouldn't go home for another seven months due to the fragile state of her health. Tire family moves into a rental home in Little Rock so they can be together. Josie and Michelle finally returned to Springdale June 21st, 2010 after numerous health scares and some near-death experiences for little Josie. After this, they continue on with their show. Fans love them even more, more than ever, you know, due to how they've overcome this struggle, you know, uh, how the family rallied together and the couple publishes their second book. For the next six years, things will go real well for the Duggars, right? Ratings go up, family makes more money. Then finally in 2015, a long-held dark family secret comes to light. May 19th of that year, In Touch Magazine announces they had obtained that 2006 police report that contained details about how Josh had sexually assaulted four of his sisters and a fifth girl. Gawker outlined how rumors of this accusation uh, were brought up in various blog posts over the years. 17 kids in counting forums had discussed the allegations as as far back as May 2007, but In Touch, the first mainstream media outlet to do a proper story. Josh's name was redacted from the police report, but In Touch named him in their article. Story was that the Arkansas Child Abuse Hotline received a tip December 7th, 2006, right? As we went over from Oprah's Harpo Studios. Allegations then reported, uh, uh, or excuse me, the allegations were reported to them by someone who knew a family friend. The family friend knew about the molestation incidents, wrote a letter detailing what Josh did. The person then put that letter inside a book, <laughs> then forgot about it. But then somebody borrowed that book, discovered the letter, and then, you know, here we are. They reached out to Oprah's studio and to the authorities. Springdale PD then reached out to schedule interviews with the family. They returned home from Chicago on December 11th. Next day, Jim, Bob, Michelle, and the kids are interviewed by police at Springdale Children's Safety Center. Investigator Taylor interviewed each victim, asked them what she, uh, you know, what they liked to do around the house, if they knew why they were there to talk, asked them where they were touched, asked where they, uh, you know, where they thought no one should be allowed to touch them, and finally asked if they felt safe in the home. Everything seemed to be for what it was okay. No charges will be filed because the police determined that the statute of limitations had expired. There was nothing they could do except make an official report. The police referred the the matter to the families in need of service agency, which had jurisdiction over minors. The Department of Human Services got involved, but no children were removed from the home. December 19, 2006, the police did ask Jim Bob to bring Josh in for more questioning, but he refused and hired a lawyer. All part of God's plan for Jim Bob, for him to help, uh, you know, for him to hide a sexual predator. And keep that predator around his family and around his victims. A police report revealed that Jim Bob first found out about the sexual assault four fucking years earlier in July of 2002 when Josh was 14. 
One of his younger than 14 daughters told him that her older brother, Josh, fondled her breasts and vaginal area while he thought she was sleeping. According to Jim Bob, when questioned, Josh admitted that he had done this. And did Jim Bob then bring this to the police right away? Did he, did he put his daughter in therapy? Did he send Josh away so that he uh, wouldn't reoffend? Heavens to Betsy, no. No, he just agreed to do that first documentary uh, about their family. No, they had, a, <laughs> they had a lot at stake. So they prayed about it, a lot of prayers, and they decided to sweep it under the rug. Nine months later, March of 2003, Jim Bob, Michelle would realize that the prayers didn't change anything, that their son was still an incestuous pedophile. That March, they learned about several more incidents. He's molested three more of their daughters. Uh, the report stated Josh had now molested four sisters and an additional non-family victim. And more than once, Josh would uh, confess to mostly molesting them while they slept, but occasionally also while they were very much awake. In one incident, Josh molested one of his sisters while she sat on his lap. Uh, in another, he inappropriately touched a victim after cornering them in the family laundry room. Now does Jim Bob contact the police? Oh, gosh dang, no. Now they still got that first doc to finish. They have a brand image to maintain, right? Uh, making sure his daughters are safe, that's terrible for business. So Jim Bob does not contact the police. Instead, he meets with church elders and they decide that Josh should be sent away from March 17th to July 17th, 2003, where he will perform manual labor and receive counseling, but not real counseling by people with degrees and shit. Uh, no, church counselors who think you can literally pray away pedophilia, which you can't do. Uh, Jim Bob has never revealed the name of the facility, maybe because he never went to one. Michelle will later admit that Josh didn't go to a training center. Jim Bob lied. Lied after finally being pressured to be honest about this. Jim Bob went to uh, work with a man who was remodeling a Hobby Lobby into an Institute in Basic Life Principles facility. No fake counseling even. Just some construction, further immersion, and a very dark organization that Jim Bob and Michelle had already been in for well over a decade. Now let's get to know the Institute and Basic Life Principles a bit better. It'll absolutely help us understand why Jim Bob decided to hide his son as an abuser. The IBLP is an Illinois-based ministry founded by televangelist Bill Gothard, just outside of Chicago in 1961. Stated purpose of the organization is to provide instruction on how to find success in life by following biblical principles. This involves programs that include seminars for ministry, community outreach, troubled youth mentoring, and international ministry. And the IBLP has been described by many as a cult. In March of 2014, Gothard resigned as president of the Institute after being accused of sexual abuse and harassment. 20 miles west of downtown Chicago in Hinsdale is the IBLP headquarters. Gothard stepped down in 2014 after an internal probe regarding sexual abuse uh, based on complaints of over 30 women. 18 former staffers, interns, and volunteers would then file a lawsuit accusing Gothard, then 80 years old, of sexually, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and or psychologically abusing them. In most cases, the plaintiffs were minors at the time of the, at the, time of the abuse, and they'd been recruited to work for the organization by Gothard himself. The suit also took on IBLP, accusing it of initially covering up Gothard's actions, which the plaintiffs claim took place over the course of several decades. Common knowledge for decades, even amongst the Duggars, that Bill Gothard was very fond of pretty blonde teenage girls. Unmarried man loves uh, bl pretty blonde teenage girls. Uh, Janet Duggar was invited to go to Hinsdale and work with IBLP as one of Gothard's special secretaries. Uh, she could have easily become one of his victims, but it doesn't seem that she went. The IBLP published homeschool curriculum that the Duggars used, overall parenting guidelines, so much crazy shit. <laughs> like, like stuff like this. Kids should not play Monopoly because of its focus on dirty money, because of its secular focus, its materialistic focus. But they should play a kind of similar game called Commands of Christ. 
okay, manufactured by the Institute. Instead of getting a go-to-jail card, they could go to the venomous pit of bitterness or the torture pit of temporal values. <laughs> Little girls were also uh, taught not to have Cabbage Patch dolls because warlocks made them. <laughs> Which is why the Duggar girls didn't have them. Let me, let me repeat this. This institute publicly proclaimed in writing that fucking warlocks make Cabbage Patch dolls. Institute also taught that music with a rock beat, even supposedly Christian rock, is likely satanic. But wait, there's more. Institute taught that women are expected to obey men in every way, in the home, at school, at the workplace, especially in marriage. Uh, Brooke Arnold, a former IBLP member featured in the Shiny Happy People doc, talked about some of the homeschool curriculum. She said, in the wisdom booklet, there are these drawings of women and they're wearing various different outfits. The assignment is to figure out what's slutty about each woman's outfit. Instead of learning math, you're learning slut-shaming. Another former member, Heather Heath, said, I bought a box of tampons. Uh, this is when she's staying at the headquarters. IBLP leaders went through my stuff. They took them instantly. They said, these are a form of pleasure. Oh, my God. I got locked in my room because I was told I took my own virginity with them and robbed my husband of the right to break my hymen. So they took my devil sticks. <laughs> Look, I know that you can be very intelligent and also very religious, but can you be very intelligent and also think tampons are evil devil sticks? I don't think you can. I think you have to be pretty fucking stupid to believe that. This is fucking ridiculous. Uh, Laura Smith, a former IBLP member who was also featured in the doc about the uh, uh, shiny happy people, talks about you know fear being pushed on IBLP members, saying, hell was very vivid for us. It was not an abstract concept. I would dream about being burned alive. Because I would think, oh, I really hate my brother today. Relating to how the Duggars handle Josh sexually abusing siblings, let me read you some of the key points from an IBLP handout passed around to families at various seminars to suggest the benefits of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm, the benefits. This handout, is, oh, Lindsay was real fired up about this one. I, I was bugging her a lot about this episode. This handout is titled, Why Did God Let a Four-Year-Old Boy Be Molested by a 15-Year-Old Neighbor? This is going to be absolutely as fucked up as you're probably thinking. <sighs> One, to teach him his responsibility to cry out to God for help. Did your four-year-old cry out to God while being raped? If not, this fucking pamphlet says, when a victim, and it puts the word victim in quotes, does not cry out, he will be equally guilty. Yikes. Two, to motivate him to dedicate his body to God. You gotta stop thinking about your body as your own body. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. So you don't get raped. God does sometimes. What do you cry? God should be upset about being raped, I guess. Three, to give him a moral vaccination against future temptations. Four, to transform aroused desires to spiritual power. Five, to motivate him to write God's law on his heart. Your four-year-old was too prideful. Needed a little raping. Take him down a peg. So he'd, you know, get God's law on his heart. Uh, six, to concentrate. This is fucking, oh my God, this one fucking kill. Six, to concentrate on God's hatred of sodomy. You know, before being ass raped, I doubt your little four-year-old ever even thought about, you know, sodomy, how brutal it could be. You know, never really concentrated on it. But now, now with no lube, now he gets it. What, what a blessing. Now he understands why God hates it. And it just goes on and on with these repulsive hate-filled messages. Ay, ay, ay. Uh, to further illustrate how women are reviewed by the IBLP, check out this excerpt from another pamphlet. This one's on marriage. Same kind of wisdom. At one point it says, question, what if a wife 
is a victim of her husband's hostility? Answer, there is no, and again in quotes, they put the word fucking victim in quotes. Answer, there's no victim. If we understand, we are called to suffer for righteousness. Those Duggar girls were no victims when Josh molested them. No reason to call the authorities. They're not victims. They just needed to be reminded that we all get called upon to suffer for righteousness. This shit is so fucking insane, right? Actually, you know what? Insane is not the right word for it. This shit is evil. And this is the ideology of Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar. Wholesome family. So wholesome. Uh, you know, not some, not some hellbound heathen pieces of shit like me who think that, you know, you shouldn't treat sexual abuse lightly. That perpetrators should be incarcerated or killed and women shouldn't have to suffer through abusive marriages. I, I guess I'm just fucking stupid. I just don't get it. All of the IBLP ministry programs and their homeschooling network, all their teachings, you know, part of a bigger plan by Gotham. That plan was for the so-called Joshua generation, a group of elite homeschooled children who could rise to the highest levels of government, something they saw as essential to take over the government for Jesus and reestablish the role of Christianity as central to America's identity. Glory be to Gilead. This is terrifying. Gothard truly wanted to turn America into a theocratic nightmare where women and children are never protected. If motherfuckers like these dangerous idiots ever take over this country, I'm either going to move or I'm going to go out in a fucking fucking blaze of shooting. <laughs> I'm going to go to one of their fucking centers and shoot as many as I can before they fucking take me out. So understanding the ideology Jim, Bob, and Michelle were immersed in, actually not surprising how they did not take Josh's crimes, you know, seriously. Josh returned home in July of 2003, as far as they were concerned, 100% cured. I mean, they prayed about it. He, he, will, <laughs> he won't fucking molest his, you know, siblings again. I mean, he will. Uh, but, but they think that he won't. Uh, then after allegedly even more assaults on siblings at home, uh, sometime in 2005, according to InTouch Magazine, Jim Bob and the church and a church elder bring Josh, now 17 years old, to speak to a state trooper, Joe Hutchins. Hutchins knew Jim Bob because he'd inspected vehicles at Jim Bob's car dealership. Hutchins does not charge uh, Josh with any crimes or make a police report. Instead, he gives Josh a, quote, very stern talk, <laughs> which is fucking illegal. Arkansas state law requires officers to report sexual misconduct involving juvenile victims, but Hutchins just doesn't do that. Also, legally, as soon as Hutchins uh, knows about the incident, the clock starts ticking on the time they have to file charges, and then the time limit expires just before the police receive the tip on December 7th, 2006, the day Oprah's team gets the email. <sighs> because Jim Bob uh, did eventually report shit to a law enforcement officer, no charges are filed against him, even though he reported it so late. Uh, so why didn't Hutchins do more about Josh? Well, things get more twisted. Might have something to do with Hutchins being involved in the same religious circles and also being a pedophile. I'm going to push pause on the timeline for just a sec to show what he did. June 1st, 2012, Hutchins will plead no contest to 10 counts of distributing, possessing, or viewing matter depicting sexually explicit conduct involving a child. He was charged as a, as a habitual offender and received a 56-year sentence. 10 additional counts dismissed as part of a plea deal. Hutchins was retired from the state police at this point, worked as a, he had a, uh, he was working as a bailiff though, at the time of his arrest. He had been a state trooper for 26 years and first arrested in 2005, same year he didn't do shit for Josh. Right after his meeting with Josh, that guy got taken down for being a pedo. Took a plea deal in 2007 to eight counts of possession of child pornography, received five years for each count to be served concurrently. Right after getting out, a parole officer found more images during a home visit. Back to 2015 now, the year In Touch magazine announced that they had obtained a 2006 police report that contained details about how Josh had sexually assaulted four sisters and a fifth girl. May 21st, Josh Duggar confirmed the allegations were true in a Facebook post. 
where he wrote 12 years ago as a young teenager, I acted inexcusably for which I am extremely sorry and deeply regret. I heard others, including my family and close friends. We spoke with the authorities where I confessed my wrongdoing. Not really true. And my parents arranged for me and those affected by my actions to receive counseling. Also not true. I understood that if I continued down this wrong road, that I would end up ruining my life. I sought forgiveness from those I had wronged and asked Christ to forgive me and come into my life. I would do anything to go back to those teen years and take different actions. In my life today, I am so very thankful for God's grace, mercy, and redemption. But that's all bullshit because Josh had not changed. Uh, as we'll see. Same day, Josh Duggar resigns from the Family Research Council where he worked as a lobbyist. Family Research Council has been listed as a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. They would love to make being gay a crime, make it nearly impossible for women to divorce abusive husbands, all sorts of horrible shit if you dig into their supposedly wholesome values. Josh had been living in Washington, D.C. with Anna and his children. He was active in the political scene and posted photos with several prominent politicians. May 22nd, 2015, TLC pulls all reruns of 19 kids and counting from their channel. Walgreens, Payless Shoes, uh, General Mills, Choice Hotels, and more pull ads from the show. May 27th, 2015, former Arkansas State Trooper, current fucking pedo, Joe Hutchins, right before uh, being taken down again, uh, contacted InTouch to tell them that Jim Bob hid the full extent of Josh's abuse from authorities. Hutchins claimed that Jim Bob only told him about one incident and downplayed it significantly, which is why he never reported to the abuse hotline. Said that Jim Bob uh, said that Josh confessed that he only touched one victim one time in her sleep over clothing. Not true. Said that Josh followed his dad's lead and said, uh, I did what I thought was right. Obviously, it wasn't. If I had it to do over again, I would have told him immediately. I'm going to call the hotline and contact the trooper that worked those cases and have a full report made. I thought I could handle it myself. I've lost a lot of sleep over it. I'm a Christian myself. And I worry that someone else, that something else may have happened. I would be responsible for it, in my opinion, by not reporting it. The young girl should have been my first priority. But unfortunately, Officer Hutchins' first priority at this time was to, uh, you know, be beaten off to pictures of uh, kids being raped and stuff. It's fucking so crazy, this story. June 3rd, 2015, Jim Bob, Michelle, Jessa, Jill Duggar, sit down with Fox News journalist Megan Kelly for an interview. Megan did, Megan did a great job in this interview, I thought. Uh, they, were, they were trying to do some PR damage control. Maybe shift focus away from their son's troubles. And an epidemic of front-hugging, destroying America. Uh, they now acknowledge that four of their five victims were their daughters. Four of the five victims. Also said the biggest issue was not how Josh molested his sisters, but that Josh's police records were released under a Freedom of Information Act request. What a fucked perspective. The kind of perspective you would have if you'd been brainwashed into thinking that women's rights aren't that important. And that sexual abuse, not that big of a deal. They announced that they might sue the police department. Jim Bob told Megan Kelly that they wanted to protect juvenile records because mistakes juveniles make when they're young should be sealed. Totally. Protection. That's what Jim Bob is mostly about. Protecting his children, like his daughters, who he allowed to be continually molested. Uh, Jim Bob told Megan Kelly, Josh came up, Josh came to us on his own and he was crying. He had just turned 14. He said he had actually improperly touched some of our daughters. He said he was just curious about girls. He had gone in and just basically touched them over their clothes while they were sleeping. They didn't even know he had done it. Jim Bob said that the girls didn't really understand what had happened to them. Of course they didn't understand. Uh, None of them had been properly taught about sex. Did I mention the IBLP homeschool curriculum contains nothing about sex education? Like zero? Like the Duggar kids never taught how sex works. Initially, they barely understood what molesting was. Right? They were so ignorant. They didn't understand what had happened to them. That it was wrong. Uh, Jim Bob said that they tried to deal with the issue as a family, but it continued. Four sisters, family babysitter were assaulted. Yeah, that's fucking what happens when you don't fucking remove somebody like that. 
Oh my God. Uh, uh, when that happened, when a kid that they could not control had been sexually assaulted, that's when Jim, Bob, and Michelle decided to do something. When the babysitter was touched, you know, it's, it's one thing to finger bang your sister, Josh. It, it, it's, it's one thing to ride her bike. Quite another to finger bang the babysitter and take her bike off some curbs and ramps and down bumpy trails and such. Jim, Bob said, that's when we pulled him out of the house. We said, he can't be here but then he would just come back soon. Uh, he said, Josh now went to receive uh, live-in therapy at a Christian treatment center, but we know that didn't really happen. He just, you know, did some construction. <laughs> Jim, I've also denied knowing Joe Hutchins was now in prison for kitty porn, and I think that's bullshit. This guy plays fucking dumb a lot. I don't buy it. I don't like it. Jim Bob accused Joe Hutchins of lying about, uh, only knowing about one incident of molestation. He insisted Josh told the full truth. Afterwards, he said that Josh and all the girls received counseling from a licensed therapist. No, they didn't. Said that Josh paid for his counseling himself. Uh, when Josh returned home, he said that he didn't think he was a threat to the girls because he was a changed person now. That's not how this works. Uh, Jim, Bob, and Michelle now made some new rules around the house. They said when Josh came back, boys couldn't you know, babysit girls anymore. Boys not allowed to play hide and seek with girls. No boys and girls allowed to be in a, uh, alone in a room together and no one allowed to sit on anyone else's lap. <laughs> ah, why not? Maybe, maybe more kids need to be reminded that their bodies don't belong to them. Maybe more kids need to be humbled by God's chosen humbler, Josh Duggar. Uh, Megan Kelly asked why they decided to do a show knowing they were hiding such a huge secret. And Jim Bob responded, we had nothing to hide. Well, then why'd you fucking hide it, you piece of shit? Uh, we, we had taken care of that years before. We had a clean bill, of health from the st- clean bill of health from the state. Not exactly. Michelle stated that she believed there was an agenda for releasing the police report. Uh, she thought scrutiny against her family was motivated by a dislike of their conservative values. Right? They just refused to focus on what matters here. Uh, maybe people were motivated by a dislike of people who don't protect their children. People who build a brand on strong family values who don't uphold them. Jim Bob ran for Senate on a platform that included making incest a crime with capital punishment and then does this, right? These people suck. Jim Bob and Michelle speculated that maybe a bribe or a personal agenda was the motivation to release the police report. They said that Josh had once spoken to a police captain, Kathy O'Kelly at a meeting offered a handshake and she refused to speak to him. I like Kathy. Police captain was about to retire, made a statement that there were a few things she wanted to fix before she retired, and they thought that one of the things was exposing Josh's past. And you know what? If she did, good for her. Michelle said, I think every one of us have done things wrong, and that's why Jesus came. This is more about, this is an agenda, and there's people that are, you know, purposing to try to bring things out and twisting them to hurt and slander. Oh, Michelle, you fucking halfwit. Uh, yeah, we've all done things that are wrong, but most of us have not done something as wrong as, you know, Molest our siblings on multiple occasions and the fucking babysitter. But again, not a big deal, right? Because of the crazy ass IBLP teachings. And also I think Jim, Bob and Michelle are in some ways dumb as fucking rocks. I mean, I mean, they worried that Cabbage Patch dolls <laughs> were being made by warlocks. Ugh, several of Michelle's daughters will talk uh, in the doc, shiny happy people about how much downplaying Josh's actions really hurt them. Made them feel like what happened to them did not matter, right? They were re-traumatized. Like they were wrong to feel like it was a big deal. Megan Kelly asked Jim Bob and Michelle what they thought about people who called them hypocrites. And Jim Bob said, I don't think you would go up to total strangers and say, hi, my name is so-and-so. And I want you to know what I did when I was a child and share everything about your past. I mean, I, I've done that. I talk about fucking a banana. It's you know? <laughs> cool. In a grocery store bathroom. Every family has things that happen in the families. Some families maybe have darker things than others. They sure do, Jim Bob. They sure do. And when things are real, real dark, the authorities should know about them. Also a guy who put his family through 10 seasons of having a reality TV production crew in their home talking about keeping certain parts of your life private is ridiculous. 
Megyn Kelly asked Michelle about a robocall recording now that she had made where she referred to transgender people as being child molesters. Asked how could she do this and judge people who hadn't, to her knowledge, done anything wrong knowing what her own son had done. And Michelle responded, I think that protecting young girls and not allowing young men and men in general to go into a girl's locker room is just common sense. Deflect, deflect, deflect. Uh, Michelle should never talk about common sense because she doesn't have any. Also, you know, it would be common sense to remove a sexual predator from your home. Uh, Megan Kelly wasn't going to let the answer slide. She said, this is different because you injected child molestation into it. And now Jim, Jim Bob interrupts. I think you actually said pedophile in that. And actually a pedophile is an adult that preys on children. Uh, Joshua was actually 14 and just turned 15. Uh, when he did, you know what he did, legal definition is 16 and up for being an adult preying on a child. So he was, he was a child preying on a child. Just fucking admit you fucked up. They both then inserted, they, they didn't think Josh was a pedophile. Not their sweet baby boy, even though he was. Michelle ended by tearfully saying, I think what's so devastating for me as a mama is that we took our children to the safety center. We trusted them. We trusted the police department. Our children poured out their hearts. They shared everything. And then to have their trust betrayed and for all their information and everything they shared to be turned over to a tabloid. As a mom, that breaks my heart for my girls because they've been victimized more by what's happened in these last couple weeks than they were 12 years ago because they honestly didn't even understand and know that anything happened until after the fact uh, when they were told about it. In our hearts before God, we haven't been keeping secrets. We've been protecting those that needed to be protected. Fuck you, Michelle Duggar. Uh, what your son did to your daughters, the way you added additional trauma by not protecting them and having it happen again and again, that shit is what victimized your kids the most. Not the police, not the tabloids. So sad that such a shitty mom was uh, blessed with so many kids. Megan Kelly spoke to the daughters next. Jill, 24, Jessa, 22, identified themselves as two of the victims. Jill called the news coverage a re-victimization. That's a thousand times worse. A thousand times. Because this is something that was already dealt with. We've already forgiven Josh. We've already moved on. But how gross is this? She will, a few years later, say in the doc, shiny, happy people, that she was coached to give that response by Jim Bob. Heavily. She made that up, right? Uh, to protect the family. Talk about being re-traumatized. Jill was 12 when she was assaulted. Jessica was nine or 10. Jill told Megan Kelly, we didn't choose to come out and tell our story. But now that the story has been brought out, we really feel like as victims, we have to come out and speak. This is something we chose to do. Nobody asked us to do this. Most of the stuff out there is lies. For truth's sake, we want to come out and set the record straight. But again, she was asked to do that by her fucking dad. Heavily coached. Must protect the brand. Jessa explained in Josh's case, he was a young boy in puberty. He was a little too curious about girls. And that got him into some trouble. And he made some bad choices. But really the extent of it was mild. Inappropriate touching on fully clothed victims, which is not true. Most of it while girls were sleeping. And everyone knows, by the way, it's okay to do shit to girls while they're asleep. <laughs> Imagine that mentality. I mean, this is why it's such a travesty uh, what happened to Bill Cosby. He barely did anything wrong. He did shit to women who were asleep. He made them fall asleep, but they were asleep. And what happens when you're asleep, it doesn't matter. Uh, Jessa told Megan Kelly, I do want to speak up in defense against people who are calling him a child molester or a pedophile or a rapist. Some people are saying, I'm like, this is so overboard and a lie, really. I mean, people get mad at me for saying that, but I can say this because I was one of the victims. I can be coached by my father to say this. Jessa then went on to say the system that was set up to protect kids, both those who make stupid mistakes or have problems like this in life and the ones who are affected by those choices, it's greatly failed. (laughs) Uh, And again, all coached. Coached to pretend that the system has victimized them more than the brother. 
And how is all this blame shifting affecting Josh? I imagine it's making him feel like what he did was not that big of a deal, right? That he's a victim too, which gives him less incentive to seek therapy and take this all very seriously, which makes him that much more likely to reoffend, which he will. July 26, 2015, TLC officially cancels 19 kids and counting. They didn't like the fucking uh, interviews. After thoughtful consideration, TLC and the Duggar family have decided not to move forward with 19 kids and counting, but really just TLC. The show will no longer appear on the air. The recent attention around the Duggars has sparked a critical and important conversation about child protection. Yep. Uh, TLC also announced plans to air a one-hour documentary about child sexual abuse as part of their partnership with Rain and Darkness to Light. Some uh, great groups, actually, dedicated to protecting, uh, you know, the victims of sexual abuse. Uh, I believe we've donated to Rain in the past. Uh, pretty sad when reality TV producers end up having better morals than the supposedly wholesome Duggars. In August 2015, another scandal rocks the Duggar family. A group of hackers get into the Ashley Madison website, leak the user's data, and this ousts Josh Duggar as a customer of Ashley Madison, a cheating website promising discreet encounters full of front hugs with married people. Josh used the site between 2012 and 2015, spent 968 bucks. How many discreet encounters did that pay for? How many front hugs did he get? How many bikes did he ride? And ride so hard. You know, trying to do backflips, tail whips, you know, wiping out, fucking up the shocks, wearing out the tire treads, knocking the chain off and not even caring. Uh, Josh's username was Josh the man. He wrote in his profile that he was an attached male seeking female. His desires were conventional sex, experimenting with sex toys, and one night stands. His personal interests included travel and photography. Josh said he was turned on by, quote, professional, confident women who dislike routine and have a secret love nest. What the fuck is a secret love nest? (laughs) I mean, it sounds pretty cool. Sounds like he wanted the good stuff, the freaky shit. The stuff that Lucifina is like, are you sure you're ready for this shit? Stuff not intended for procreation. August 20th, 2015, Josh Duggar releases a statement indirectly admitting to using the website and his secret addiction to pornography. He he writes, uh, I have been the biggest hypocrite ever. While espousing faith and family values, I have secretly over the last several years been viewing pornography on the internet. And this became a secret addiction. And I became unfaithful to my wife. I brought hurt and reproach to my family, close friends and fans of our show with my actions that happened when I was 14, 15 years old. And now I have rebroken their trust. The last few years while publicly stating I was fighting against immorality in our country while hiding my own personal failings. As I'm learning the hard way, we have the freedom to choose our actions but we do not get to choose our consequences. I deeply regret all the hurt I have caused so many by being such a bad example. I humbly ask your forgiveness. Please pray for my precious wife, Anna, and our family during this time. I wonder how long Josh waited after writing that email before beating off to some violent kiddie porn. Matthew McCarthy, the man whose picture Josh stole for his OkCupid and Ashley Madison profiles, then announces uh, plans to sue Josh for use of the photo, claims he had to face harassment and humiliation because of the scandal, lost work as a DJ and a photographer. In December 2015, TLC launches the premiere of a spinoff show, Counting On, which does not feature Josh Duggar. They figured out how to milk more fucking money out of the Duggars, uh, despite their supposed stance against their immorality. The show focuses now on Jill and Jess's uh, adult lives with her husbands and children, like 19 Kids and Counting. It's a hit. And guess who is really being paid for this show? Jim, Bob, and Michelle. Not Jill and Jessa. Just being further exploited by their parents. And shame on TLC for letting that happen. Jill confronted her father about a contract. She says she was pressured to sign for her dad uh, without reading. She'll say this, you know, later. And that the contract had all the money uh, for counting on go to Jim Bob's production company. When confronted, Jim said, or Jill said, Jim Bob offered her 10 bucks an hour. What a piece of shit. I'll explain more about the money a little bit later. Uh, 2019, more trouble with Josh. A lot more. 
Agents from the Department of Homeland Security now execute a search warrant at Josh Duggar's car dealership in Arkansas. The raid will be kept secret from the public for two years until 2021. The agents were after Josh's work computer because they had detected child porn downloaded at the car dealership. They found that he installed accountability software on his personal MacBook and HP desktop computer, a program called Covenant Eyes. Designed to monitor people with porn addictions, the program sends browsing history to an accountability partner, which was his wife, Anna. But Josh, you know, easily installed a Tor browser. <laughs> Gave him access to the dark web. So he could just work around, access uh, even more hardcore porn than you can find on the regular internet without covenant eyes detecting shit. It's almost like this guy needed to be sent to prison for a long time or maybe killed. <laughs> it's almost like being enabled to keep on abusing while he was growing up uh, didn't really make him a better person. Josh agreed to answer questions during the raid. At one point, he asked, what is this about? Has someone been downloading child pornography? That's a weird question to bring up before they bring it up. Oh, hi, officers. Let me guess. You're here for the, for the kitty porn. <laughs> well, I don't have any. It's for sure not on my hard drive. Not, not in a few encrypted folders, huh? No, I definitely didn't just finish beating off to any of that stuff. No, sir. April 29th, 2021, uh, Josh Duggar arrested on federal charges of receiving possessing child pornography. Uh, Federal prosecutors announced that Josh allegedly used the internet to download child sexual abuse material and not just pics of naked kids, which is horrible on its own, but pics and videos of kids being seriously abused, you know, being raped on video. Just want to be clear about how fucked this is. Uh, Such a shame he never got his pedophilia cured, which you can do. There has been a cure for pedophilia ever since it's been around. It's called death. One properly placed bullet. Ta-da! Cured. No more victims. Agents discovered the horrific material on Josh's desktop computer and personal laptop, and Josh pled not guilty. Uh, May 5th, 2021, a federal agent testified in court that Josh downloaded and possessed 65 images and a two-minute video depicting sexual abuse of girls between the ages of 5 and 10. 5 and 10. And then the agent said that Josh had some of the worst sexual abuse child pornography that he has seen in over 1,000 cases. First off, that poor fucking agent. Hail Nimrod for having the mental fortitude to be able to handle over a thousand cases of child porn where you have to see images in every case that cannot be good for your brain, but so necessary to catch these six fucks and try and reduce consumption of that porn, which, you know, if reduced enough would theoretically reduce the amount made. Anyone making child porn, by the way, please kill yourself. You're the rare exception to the please don't kill yourself rule counterintuitively the best thing you can do to prevent the most suicide is to take yourself out so you'll not victimize other people to the point that some of them will tragically take themselves out uh josh was formally charged with two counts of receiving and possessing child pornography june 29th 2021 tlc officially now cancels the spinoff counting on uh tlc feels it's important they say in a press release to give the duggar family the opportunity to address their situation privately October 29th, 2021, in the midst of the family's biggest scandal yet, Jim Bob Duggar announces he'll be running for the Arkansas State Senate District 7. Why? He gets the third most votes. Guess God didn't want him to win again. Guess God thought he was too fucking stupid for politics. Uh, Jim Bob will blame cancel culture (laughs) for his loss. Sure, buddy. Cool story, bro. December 9th, 2021, Josh Duggar found guilty of two counts of receiving and possessing child pornography. May of 2022, uh, sentenced to 12 and a half years in prison. June 2nd of this year, 2023, Shiny Happy People, Duggar Family Secrets debuts on Amazon Prime, bringing to light Duggar's addiction, or excuse me, Duggar's association, the whole family's association with the IBLP, revealing how the Duggar kids were not paid to have their childhoods broadcast to the world, 
and exposing how the girls were coached to downplay sexual abuse and more. In September of this year, Jill Duggar's memoir, Counting the Cost, comes out. In it, Jill details the aftermath of Josh's molestation scandal, her clash with her father, over 19 kids and counting money, and more. Uh, She wrote about Jim Bob telling the kids he once destroyed his eight-track collection with a hammer because rock and roll was sinful. She shared how the family left their Baptist church for a much stricter sect when she was young after a Christmas service included, oh, it wasn't drumming. It was dancing. (laughs) It was dancing at the Christmas service, and they were like, we're out. Also said that eventually after confronting her dad about not being paid for either the show, 19 Kids and Counting, which ran for 10 seasons, and then the spinoff where she was one of the main stars, Counting On, which ran for 11 seasons, her dad did finally pay her a one-time sum of $175,000 after a bunch of pressure. Uh, some of the other grown siblings were paid 80000 each, but Jim Bob and Michelle paid roughly $8 million from the two shows. And the second show, not even focused on them. They really are pieces of shit. Uh, Okay, so what are Jim, Bob, and Michelle up to today? Time Magazine reported a few months back that Jim is the new leader of the Institute of Basic Life Principles. The shiny happy people doc alluded to the Duggar patriarch campaigning to be the next head of the organization when one former Duggar family friend uh, claimed uh, he took over after Gothard was ousted in 2014. But Jim, Bob, not included in the IBLP list of directors per their website, but also Bill Gothard still listed as the organization's leader, despite being kicked out. So maybe the website not so current. Uh, Jim, Bob, and Michelle do still regularly promote, at the very least, IBLP practices and speak at their events. In May of this year, Michelle congratulated their son, Jackson, for completing phase one at the Alert Academy in IBLP ministry. Based on the family website, it seems that the Duggar family still resides in their compound. Some of the Duggar children, including Jill and Ginger, live separate from the family, but most either live, uh, you know, if they're not living with them, live very close by. And that will take us out of the timeline. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. Uh, Before I recap, a little more info about Jim Bob. Apparently, he just opened up a used bike shop. (laughs) And that bike shop uh, did sponsor today's episode. Hey, diddly-doo, neighbors. Jim Bob Duggar here, proud new owner of Springdale's Road Hard and Put Away Wet Used Bicycles. Are you like my oldest son? You maybe need to take a little break from the old ball and chain, shine a new bike at home. Sure, you enjoy being the only one who's ever ridden it, but that bike cries when you ask to try out some tricks. That bike talks about how you're only supposed to ride a bike for one reason and one reason alone, just to get where you're going. Nothing else, never just for fun. But what if you do diddly do want to ride a bike just for fun? What if you want to ride two bikes at the same diddly time? What if you want to ride one bike while another diddly do bike Watches from the corner and touches his diddly-doo self. What if you want to watch one bike ride another bike while you film both bikes? Hey, are we still talking about bikes? You can do anything you want to our road hard and put away wet used bikes. Everyone's taking a ride. There ain't nothing these bikes ain't seen before, and they ain't going to make you feel guilty or ask God for forgiveness for jumping them off the curb. See how much air you can get on the handicap ramp, riding them rugged and hard down a bumpy trail. You don't have to use protection when you ride. Toss that helmet in the trash. Raw dog these bikes. Hey, hey, are we still talking about bikes? When you're done, you can bring them back. Or hell, you can throw them off a bridge to a river. You can bury them in the woods so they don't share your darkest secrets. Are you sure we're still talking about bikes? Come on down to Jim Bob Duggar's. Road hard, put away wet, used bicycles. These bikes ain't my wife and ain't my daughter's, so I don't care how you ride them. 
Just don't get them pregnant, because I don't want these godless, hearted bikes raising bastard bike kids. But they'll have to, since I'd sooner see them buried in a landfill before I'd sign off on an abortion. Are you positive? We're still talking about bikes. I'll see you in Springdale. Was he talking about bikes? Or is Jim Bob around a brothel? Okay, was I pretty hard on the Duggars today? Uh, yes. Why? Because I can't write off an organization whose teachings minimize the devastating effects of sexual abuse and people who adhere to those teachings. I don't think it's fair to give them a pass because, uh, you know, they're uh, part of a more accepted mainstream religion than many of the cults we've covered. I wouldn't condone these teachings in the secular world. world. Wouldn't condone them in a, in a cult. Can't condone them in the uh, you know, broader religious world. I find the teachings of the Institute on Basic Life Principles to be absolutely abhorrent. Following those teachings leads people to do exactly what Jim Bob did when, he came, when it came to how he handled his son, Josh, initially, uh, from what it sounds like, molesting one daughter. There's all kind of reports, so I know that gets a little confusing. And then because nothing appropriate was done, uh, now three other daughters and a babysitter get molested. Then the same kid grows up to consume incredibly violent child porn. Would he have done that if he would have been put in real counseling right away after the first incident? Would he have done that if he was taught more about sexuality at a younger age? Didn't see all of it, including fucking front hugs as being sinful and shameful. Would he have done that if he wasn't raised in such a misogynistic environment where girls are raised in many ways to be the perfect abuse victims? Girls raised to be subservient, to not talk back, to have the instinct to disobey, literally beat out of them when their baby's on a blanket reaching for a toy. It's fucked up. Does that mean I hate religion? No, but I just, uh, just like I hate certain principles of secular ideologies, like certain tenets of communism, certain tenets of capitalism even, I hate some of the shit taught by the Institute and Basic Life Principles. I hate the, the core of their beliefs. I hate any principle that minimizes the abuse of others, especially vulnerable others like children. I hate teachings that make one sex feel like they're less than another sex. I hate teachings that take any scientifically proven to be real and natural sexual orientation and orientation other than heterosexuality, but still based in adult consent and demonize it. Fuck traditional values. How about we replace the word traditional with humanist? Humanist means an advocate or follower of the, an advocate or follower of the principles of humanism. And humanism is defined as Beliefs that stress the potential value and goodness of human beings, emphasize common human needs, and seek solely rational ways of solving human problems. Doesn't that sound nice, Meat Sacks? Emphasizing the goodness of human beings, focusing on common needs, solving problems rationally. Can you still have religious values? Yes. But when it comes to legislation, when it comes to child rearing, when it comes to big societal decisions, the only thing that makes sense to me, what feels by far to be the most fair and compassionate, is to let a humanist worldview take precedence over religious views. If your religious views line up with humanist views, beautiful, great, that's awesome. But when the two don't line up, then I think we need to have a common standard and I think that needs to be a humanist view. If we don't, if we put the supernatural above the natural, well, then we end up with people not thinking sexual abuse is a big deal because it's not your body anyway. It's God's body. We end up with people slut shaming for tampon use. Reason and logic. Let those principles be our guiding lights. Reason and logic dictate that a woman should be able to divorce her husband if he's beating the shit out of her. Reason and logic dictate that no 80-year-old single man known for being real fond of blonde teens should probably have a access unsupervised to those teens while they are his his assistants right reason and logic dictate that cabbage patch dolls aren't made by warlocks let us have religion for those who need it getting rid of religion has not looked good historically 
See Stalin's Russia. See Hitler's Germany. See Kim Il-sung's North Korea, Mao Zedong's China, and more. Now have faith if you need it, meat sacks. I don't fucking know what waits for us after death. Maybe it is your God, truly. But also maybe your God's message has gotten twisted over the years by shitbirds like Bill Gothard. Maybe God doesn't mind a front hug. Maybe God's OG message was perfectly aligned with humanism. Wouldn't that be cool? Jesus, from what I understand, does seem pretty humanist. Love the sinner. Hail Nimrod. I love you. Let's hit the takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, Jim, Bob, and Michelle Duggar originally thought they only wanted two or three kids. Michelle gave birth to Josh, made the mistake of not immediately choking him the fuck out, went back on the birth control pill. When Michelle miscarried her second baby, she and Jim Bob were devastated and begged God for forgiveness and decided that from then on, they would accept however many children they were meant to have and they would go full quiverful and give birth to 19 children. Number two, Jim Bob and Michelle raised their children to follow countless rules, have a very regimented routine. Children must cover themselves from shoulder to thigh. Girls can't wear pants. No one can have piercings or tattoos. Internet strictly forbidden outside of schoolwork. Most of TV forbidden. Each child must complete their IBLP schoolwork, uh, assigned chores or jurisdictions, and a few hours of music practice every day, but no devil drums. Older girls must do their school, chores, babysit, keep the house running. When it comes to sex and dating, forget about either before marriage, potential partners not even allowed to front hug, go anywhere unsupervised, or even have private texting conversations. Number three, the Institute and Basic Life Principles is horrific, right? Question. What if a wife is a victim of her husband's hostility? Answer, there's no victim if we understand we are all we are called to suffer for righteousness. Are you kidding me? Number four, in 2015, In Touch magazine revealed shocking secrets about the Duggar family. In 2002 and 2003, Josh molested five young girls, four of them as sisters. Jim Bob waited over a year after the first, uh, uh, you know, first girl came to him to go to the police. And then when he did, no official report filed because he downplayed the abuse. And the officer he reported the abuse to was a huge kitty porn guy. Number five, new info. Let me share some more thoughts about IBLP founder Bill Gothard from a post on Recovering Grace, a website that exists to help people harmed by the teachings of Bill Gothard, the Institutes and Basic Life Principles and the Advanced Training Institute. Uh, this comes from April of 2015 from a former member. The post titled The Brilliance of Bill Gothard. I found this really intelligently written. Bill Gothard created a cult, and he did a fine job of it. He didn't create a commune that physically isolated his followers from the rest of the world. He didn't lead weird sessions with chanting and candles. He didn't even come up with strange names for his teachings. He conducted his cult in the wide-open view of the church, and for 20 or 30 years, he was wildly successful. What was so brilliant about his new approach to cult building? One, it sounded innocuous, even boring. He didn't name his empire something like the Kingdom of Salt and Light or God's White Army of Truth. No, he named his organization the Institute and Basic Life Principles. His homeschooling branch was the Advanced Training Institute. It's like he used a corporate name generator and chose the blandest options. Who would hear those names and suspect it was crammed full of twisted scripture and damaging legalistic ideas? If the past 30 years is any indication, almost nobody. Two, his initial indoctrination wasn't held at secret meetings with a select few followers. He held massive seminars and taught thousands of people at the same time. Granted, he did warn people not to lend out the materials to people who wouldn't understand, but that made sense because this was a week-long seminar. Obviously, there were a lot of information that you couldn't just pick up from a red workbook 
Meanwhile, meanwhile, who would look at a citywide seminar and think, cult? Three, he separated the young people from their parents and short-circuited communication between them, whether during apprenticeship sessions at seminars or in interactions with staff at training centers. He had direct access to us students. What he taught us was more extreme than what he said to our parents, but he used the same terminology. The result was that we and our parents often believed different things but didn't know it because we used the same words. He taught our parents that any questioning from us was rebellion. At the same time, he taught us to not give a bad report to our parents. So we didn't let them know about problems we saw. Meanwhile, he flashed that smile of his and said that he was building strong families. Who could object to that goal? Four, he had no centralized church. There was headquarters, of course, with the reassuring ordinary Midwestern name of Oak Brook. But people didn't sell everything they owned so they could live near Gothard's own personal church, as many cult leaders encourage. Instead, Gothard disseminated his ideas through his homeschool program. He required member families to fall in line with his teachings, consistently conditioning them to isolate themselves, both spiritually and physically, from the rest of the world, which resulted in his most brilliant method. Five, he made sure that his ideas became his followers' ideas. It wasn't Mr. Gothard tells us to do this. It was, we have chosen to do this. That means when the teachings are challenged, it wasn't a challenge to Gothard. It was a challenge to my personal belief system. We will fight for a revered leader to an extent, but we will often fight for our own beliefs until death. Even today, there is so much evidence of Gothard's false teaching, inappropriate behavior, and refusal to deal with sin. It's difficult to explain how we are so damaged. All we can say is that we attended seminars and followed a certain homeschool curriculum. It's named unremarkably IBLP or ATI, and the teachings are couched in terms of seven basic principles, moral purity, staying under authority, Doesn't sound like any cult anybody else has read about or seen on TV. Sounds pretty bland, in fact. Innocuous, boring, and spiritually devastating. That is the brilliant legacy of Bill Gothard. And now the main torchbearer of that legacy might just be Jim Bob Duggar. Former star of a show once considered the most wholesome hit reality TV show in all of America. Time suck. Top five takeaways. The Duggar's Dark Secrets has been sucked. Uh, thank you to Olivia Lee for her initial research again this week. Next week, finally return to a, a topic initially researched by Sophie Evans. Thanks to the Space Lizards on Patreon for supporting this show. Ad-free episodes are here. Thanks to the team here, including uh, Mr. Logan Keith, Yard Warlock, for recording, uploading this episode for distribution. I've uh, been still uh, dropping new merch at badmagicmerch.com, including a very cool challenge coin still there. Uh, also, thanks to the All-Seen Eyes moderating the Cult of the Curious private Facebook page, Mod Squad for making sure Discord keeps running smooth, and everyone on the Time Sucks subreddit and Bad Magic subreddit. Next week, the last chosen topic of the Space Lizards, and it's a good one. Uh, is there an enduring mystery where you're from, right? A crime that happened that nobody knows quite why. Something that people talk about over time that almost becomes more like an urban legend than something real. Something to pass around, feeling grief for the families of those involved, but at the same time, glad that it didn't happen to you or your loved ones. Well, Cleveland has a whopper of one of those. Between 2002 and 2004, three women went missing in the same area of Cleveland. The names were Michelle Knight, Amanda Berry, and Gina De Jesus. Young women between the ages of 14 and 21. Girls who hadn't had amazing lives, but had been, for the most part, normal young ladies. Had friends, socialized, went to school, worked jobs, had families who loved them. And then one per year, they all vanished. And there was no sign as to where they might have gone. Their families knew they weren't runaways. Michelle had a child. Amanda had a family she loved. Same with Gina. They had clothes, friends, dreams for the future. Were they killed? 
If so, why wasn't there a sign uh, of their bodies anywhere? Why did they never appear in conjunction with other bodies found, other killers arrested? Uh, How could the world have opened up and swallowed them whole? For years, the families of the young women held on, hoping against hope that their daughters and sisters were still alive. But if they were still alive, that meant somebody somewhere was keeping them. And that would turn out to be true, along with so many horrifying facts about their captivity that some of them uh, seem hard to believe. Starvation, beating, rape, mutilation, mind games. And at the center of it all, a middle-aged, innocuous-looking bass player named Ariel Castro. The Cleveland kidnappings next week here on Time Suck. And now for this week's updates. Uh, if you'd like to send us an update, please email us at bojangles at timesuckpodcast.com. All right, first up, from a fucking funny sucker, Melanie, who's worried about more bent, uh, (laughs) who's worried about my more bent uh, by the week penis. Uh, She wrote in, Dear Dan, I'm writing this after listening to your latest suck on the French dude who fought alongside Joan of Arc, Gilles de Ray. As much as you might fuck up saying his name, I I would surely fuck up spelling it even though it's literally right there. Anyway, I work in the medical field. I laugh so hard at your bent dick jokes and wanted you to know that what you described is actually medically possible. It's called a penile fracture. And while it can happen at any age, it's most common among 30 to 40-year-old dicks. Uh, It's actually a rupture of corpus cavernosa, the part of the penis that houses erectile tissue, muscle fibers, and blood vessels to let you worship Lucifina the way she likes, long and hard. It's a medical emergency and usually causes an eruption of blood through the urethra and is, as you might imagine, very painful. A 90-degree rupture is unlikely, but possible. (laughs) A penis rammed that hard into another object, sometimes even a partner's pubic bone, will result in swelling and massive discoloration called the uh, aubergine sign. Yes, the eggplant emoji. Most men who experience this may never have a fully straight penis again. It's corrected by degloving, literally peeling back the penis skin, oh my God, to the base and evacuating the hematoma before repairing, i.e. surgically stitching the rupture back together. Sex is, this is quite a scrabble word you put in here. I had to look at it. Uh, contraindicated. Contraindicated for six to eight weeks minimum and severe and a severe rupture of 90% may require splinting. <laughs> yes, you read that right. A dick splint. Anyway, now that you have had a great mental image in your head, which I hope festers and oozes for a long while, you know the pain your stupid calliope music causes me every time I hear it. Love the show. Love your comedy. Saw your stand-up in Salt Lake City last year. Three out of five stars. Wouldn't change a thing. Love to the Bad Magic team, Melanie. Well, thank you, Melanie. Um, <laughs> I mean, this message... It couldn't come at a better time. It just, it just gives me hope. Since as you now know, you know, my dick is bent to a 135 degree angle. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to de-glove it. I'm, I imagine I can do that myself, right? Just in the bathroom, just like peeling a banana. I mean, it probably won't be that painful or messy or anything. Uh, I love that you have all that info. Uh, Lindsay first read this email and found it hysterical. So thank you. Next up, super silly sack, Katie Daniel, Cummins Lod herself. She writes, bok, bok, playboy. It finally happened. I come and slot myself without any technology mishaps. Let me explain. I'm a single mother of two girls. And every Friday we get together with my mom, sister, niece, and brother-in-law at a very mediocre but does the job pizza place called Pizza Ranch. After we usually end up with my sisters for the girls to play since her daughter is so little. Well, this last Friday, we had my niece's favorite movie, Moana, playing. Hey, hey, the chicken did something silly. And without thinking, I absentmindedly said, bok, bok, playboy, bok, bok. Because quoting movies or shows is just something I do. No one responded at all. Not even my four-year-old who is my little shadow and parrot and parrot. I realized what I did and said, oh, that's from a podcast none of you listen to. And my sister who loves busting my tits promptly laughed out loud and caused a mass giggle. 
Yeah, maybe you had to be there, but I thought it was funny. I've tried to get my mom, sister, and brother-in-law into your podcast quite a few times, but they just don't have the stomach for certain parts. And I've decided to love them even with this massively gaping character flaw. Thank you, Chicken Joe. Katie. Katie, I love the phrase, busting my tits, as an equivalent to busting my balls. <laughs> also included your message because, to me, this is wholesome. Getting together with your family every Friday night for mediocre pizza, hanging out with a sister who busts your tits, and being able to share a fucked up pod like this, even with people who it might be too much for, is too much for, but then, you know, they don't judge you harsh enough where you can still hang out and have a good time. You just love each other and like to spend time with one another. Uh, I love it. And last up for today, I know I got some heavier, more thought-provoking messages from some of you. Maybe I can get into those next week. Uh, for now, I wanted to share some sweet, sweet music from melody-loving meat sack Todd Hartman, who wrote in, Hail fucking Nimrod forever. Just a quick note to inform on a recent release of a Triple M collaboration. I've got another message about this, and it's great. Uh, with one of my favorite bands, Lawrence. Check it out. Uh, this time, I am sorry about the length of this email. You deserve so much more. OG sucker, part-time space leader, supporter of British ant colonization, Todd Hartman. Yeah, this song. So this is um, called Wherever I Go, Jacob Collier, uh, Lawrence, and Michael McDonald. And it sounds badass. If I could actually play it. I don't know why it didn't just go. There you go. Triple M. Michael motherfucking McDonald still got it. Next time, suckers. I needed that. We all did. Thanks for listening to another Bad Magic Productions podcast. Scared to death. Time suck each week. Be sure and leave us a rating and or review wherever you listen. If you want to keep us around, we do appreciate it. Thank you for uh, those of you who have already done that. Uh, please don't teach your daughters this week that having premarital sex has turned them into a beat to shit old bike that no one wants to ride. Maybe teach them that their self-worth is not primarily based in their purity, but rather in their humanity, their empathy, their intelligence, their potential to stand on their own two feet, chase the same fucking dreams you would encourage your sons to chase. Let them give as many front hugs as they want. Front hugs are good for the soul. And tell him to keep on sucking. Bad Magic Productions. Does this drum laden track really sound satanic to you? I mean, come on. But we both know it's this is the devil I hope I go to hell Gonna have great fucking tunes down there There he is That sweet angel 